Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Grimecast. As always, I'm your host, Nutchucks, and with me, as always, still Brobby. <laughs> All right, uh, before we start, I want to thank uh, last week's sponsor, Existential Dread, and uh, this week's sponsor, Depression. So, well, depression is a very nebulous concept. You got to get specific, like the thing that I mentioned. Uh, Would you care to repeat the thing that I mentioned? Because that, that bothers me still. No, no, no. You, you go ahead and mention it. Oh. Uh, there, there's almost a hashtag. It exists out there in many formats. And yesterday I learned via uh, a Romanian, I, I don't want to say architect, but definitely somebody who's well enough educated in these matters, just pointing out to me that maybe the tallest structure in the world, the Burj Khalifa of the Arab Emirates, uh, is not connected to a sewage system. So there's literal, literal convoys of trucks hauling human shit out of the palace of steel and glass. So, among other things, the Grimecast is brought to you by depression by way of the Burj Khalifa not being connected to a sewage system. Because why would it be? It's a spiraling tower in the middle of a fucking desert. So with that tone setter, what you got, Chucks? Uh, not much, man. Uh, I mentioned to you briefly I, uh, before we started that I finished the great... Uh, TV show widely loved by many people. Uh, oh, The Walking Dead? No, not that one. That one ends this uh, this upcoming fall in spring because they're doing another half season. But uh, I finished Hunter Hunter. All six seasons I finished. I didn't finish it all in one week. I watched the first season, then I waited a little bit in the second, and then they just finally put them all on Netflix. So I finished that out. And uh, it over does... over how long? Uh, took... How long was the viewing experience? Total? Ooh. This time? Three or four days to f- go through season five and six. Mm-hmm. Previously, you'd watched the first, not increment, but the two-thirds of the show. Yeah. Uh, over how long? Months? Years? About, about three four months. Gotcha. So it's fresh enough, but it's been something that existed in your mind for a while. Like, ah, that was good. I, can't, I would like to finish this. Uh, it, it was... Yes, it was good up until the last, I would say the last 10 to 15, well, no, the last season, or the last season I, I didn't like because the way it ended the series, and they left so many questions unanswered, and the fifth season had issues jumping around. So I'll, I'll break down a, a small, brief synopsis of what the series is about. The series follows a young child named Go, Gone Freaks, whose father uh, left him with his aunt, uh, so Gone's aunt, not Gene's aunt, his dad Gene, whose name is Gene Freaks, left him with his aunt. And his goal is to become a hunter, a world like this world class fighters, and they all have specialties. There's treasure hunters, there's uh, sea hunters, there's monster hunters, there's uh, multitude. Um, and the first season follows Gone and his journey to become a hunter, and him discovering Nin. So, discovering uh, Nin, Nin. So it is the essentially, essentially you have the this like superpower. There's the Nin. You could be there's five variety types, and this it's been a while since I can remember all five well, varieties. What what what's stronger, Nin or Bin? I don't know. Because because Bin to me sounds stronger. Because there's lots of them. Ben, ben will Ben will get get you more. Bin, I need I need Bin. For my for my trash, bin, bin, bin. Okay, um, let's let let's fixate on the nin, please. Okay. Without too much detail, explain 
why we need to know about the Nin. So Nin it enhances your abilities. So each person has this ability to find out what type of Nin they use. You can manipulate, you can uh, create, and all these other things. And by testing it, you have to get a glass of water with a leaf. And you put your Nin into it and it tells you what type. And then you have to develop these skills over time. And just like every Shonen series... You start at the bottom, and every time you fight somebody, there's someone stronger. So you have to get as strong as them, but then your Nin improves. So in Season 1, after the uh, he goes to the Hunter exam, he has to go learn about Nin. Well, after, after Wait, he what? gets... What? He goes through the exam. He gets onboarded, and then they say, hey, did you bring your Nin? He says, what are you talking about? And everyone just looks gobsmacked. How did you get this far without knowing Nin? I don't know. Well, you know no one, paperwork? no one knows Nin, and that so so it's weird. So they go to the. <laughs> Can exam. we call the show that? Can we call the show? No one knows Nin instead of Hunter Hunter. It's about as intelligible. Yeah, it's almost that intelligible. So he goes through the Hunter exam. He passes uh, because something happens in there. He has to go save his friend, a twelve-year-old assassin named Kilowa. I hate uh, it already. <laughs> uh, and because... I fucking hate this concept. Also, you failed at delivering a brief synopsis of the show. Well, please continue on with your your plotting method of telling me exactly what the tragedy is going to be here. Uh, so, twelve-year-old assassin, but, but actually, actually, it's a three-hundred-year-old trans woman. No, no, no. Sorry, no. that's on. Bisky. Um, so it said, okay, so I'll, I'll wind it down. So essentially, it's this kid's journey. I'm going to skip all the seasons. And explain why I don't enjoy the last two seasons. Um, now, when you say don't enjoy, before you get specific, is it a similar knee-jerk reaction you had to, say, the ending of Gurren Lagann? Or is it a distinct flavor of uh, unenjoyment? It's, it's the, yeah, it's just unenjoyment. It's the same way like the Roroni Kenshin movies ended and how Yu Yu Hakusho ended. Like you just look the, at it. The Roni Tension movies ended with, and then Japan experienced political reform. And he, like, that, and that, he that's what happened. And he died of, uh, what? God dang it! What is that called? What's that damn disease? Pol- uh, not polo, pol- polio. God damn it! Prion uh, disease. Does, did his brain get pushed apart? No. What's the disease where your skin starts fucking up real bad? Leprosy. Thank you. He got leprosy supposedly. <laughs> no, they don't really explain what he has. Um, and he so- thought he would die by the sword. He did. So his sword arm fell off. Oh. And so what happens okay. is... Okay, go on. Nin. Uh, so they the, they go through and they have to experience this. And Gon's whole goal is to find his dad. And along the way, he meets all these friends and everything that are important to him. And by doing finding his friends and getting along these journeys, he finally, they have to go through this big epic battle that causes him almost to lose his life. And for his friend, not for the first time, because to grow his ninny had to be in mortal peril at least four times before. They they don't explain this, but somebody it's like he he made like I'll, I'll, this is one of the reasons why I hate the end of season five. Um, they they don't explain really how he got the powers he did at the end of that season. Um, all they say he must have signed a contract where this would happen. But essentially, this kid's journey to find his dad, and when he finally finds his dad, his dad's like the whole thing is friendship and the people you know and learn from this journey. That's the true treasure in life. And you're just like, oh, dear God. But you, you didn't end this thing. You didn't tell us how this happened. You didn't. You did nothing of what the first four seasons said you were going to figure out. Um, and so it's his journey. Is, is this the meme later? This so, is where the meme came from? The, the true power of Nin is the friends he met along the way? 
Yes. Hmm. Okay. Um. Does, to your knowledge, the anime adaptation stick to the manga? I don't know. I've never read the manga. Um, I know bits, and the my understanding is in the manga, Leorio, uh, who their friend is with the glasses in the jumpsuit, who's only 16, but he looks like a 35-year-old male. Um, Fuck the show. <laughs> he becomes the... He wins this special election to become the uh, next chairman of the Hunter Association. Uh, in the show, he does not. So, uh, I don't know. And there's more added on. The guys said... The, so, it has so many breaks in between. So, when they did the series... They based it off the original series from the early 2000s. So this is like Full Metal Alchemist and Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Brotherhood just stuck to the manga, particularly. This one was just like, we're going to take some things and add a little bit more. But it, they, those two stuck similar to each other. Well, uh, let's pause for a second. We're still within Hunter Hunter. Yeah. I'm taking a look at the Wikipedia article for a surface glance. And I think that this... Your your turmoil with the show premise and seasons and such reminds me a little bit of our conversation we had about Invincible. Mm-hmm. Invincible took 15 years to write. Fairly consistently in chunks. Yeah? Yeah. The, the intervals between releases were at least comparable. Right off the bat, it started in 98, 1998, the publication in Shonen Jump. And then since 2006, there have been extended hiatuses. So we have eight years of fairly consistent activity. But the end didn't happen until 2018, thereabouts. Yeah? No. The end... It's still still present, actually. He's still going. He's writing another thing. He's supposed to release one next year. Another volume. And? And? How long has that been? I'll save you the math. 23 years. Mm -hmm. Is it possible for a writer to maintain their tone if half to a quarter of their life have passed since they began, the story, it almost can't not change. It will change because of the experiences they've had and what story they are capable of telling at this point. So when you tell me, oh, after four seasons, um, it just, I don't know, the ending, well, yeah, the first four seasons were written 20 years ago. And then the guy said, okay, I guess it's popular. I'll, I'll write some more. I'll do some more. And the conclusions, like, if, if you say, if the tone is set, I'm going to be the strongest, and you get to the end, and Dad says, son, I missed you. Let's go home and have ice cream. But what about, what about being the strongest? Oh, fuck that shit. That's not important. What if the guy became a father, and that became really important to him? And so suddenly he goes, I don't care what the final level of Nin is. In the same fashion, where I have to ask, uh, One Piece has been going for a very long time. About the same amount of time, actually. Uh, I have not been following One Piece. But at some point, the stretchy man that the show focuses on learned how to become a metal man, too. Yeah, that's and then real. he caught on fire. That is right so, after the Great Pirate Roar. And without any context, because I don't think the context is necessary for the discussion, a part of you has to recognize, okay, the stretchy man became metal. Something pivotal had to have occurred. You don't just unlock that ability. Something happened here. What is going on? He had to unleash his hockey, and he had whatever. He, what yeah. whatever the justification is, it's pivotal. 
so that if the journey is so long you forgot where you started, and there are multiple filler arcs, etc., etc., we can put a Naruto as well. Uh, dude who clones himself became an enormous spirit firefox. Okay, we have traveled from one to the other, enough time has passed where it is ludicrous, but it's not implausible. Adventures have taken him here. But, frequently speaking, in Shonen series for the audiences that this is for, all of it's metaphor. Goku getting stronger is a metaphor for world perspective, even though Goku himself refuses to shift and basically continues to be a happy fight hobo for the span of his existence. And it's to our benefit, because a creature like this wielding cosmic power with zero ambition outside of a good fight, it's, it's better for everyone in creation that that's how it's maintained. We scale things back down to Gon, who, I, as far as I know, cannot just fart out planet-shattering Kamehameha's. Nope. Uh, but he wants to be the best hunter. If we jump to the middle, somewhere around season three, season four, before you say shifts happen, how is this character developed in their own story or their own world? Not what cool moves they've learned, but has their world perspective changed? Um, no, it's still the same as any shonen thing. I just got to be the strongest. But what they do is they're like, okay, now there's this insurmountable i can't remember the creepy fucking not important uh, mag magician guy well he is important because i don't know the name is not important the role is <clears throat> yeah, again yeah. chuck you're speaking to somebody me specifically but also the audience who might not know the minutiae of the show so something's proper name is not important so well, how it functions and how it relates to the characters is so he he is there to drive gone because he sees gone's potential and he uh -huh. essentially tells gone he can have his number back. So when the hunter exam, he meets him. He also becomes a hunter, but he's also part of this other elite assassin group um, because the hunter exams don't say no matter what your bad thing is, you doesn't doesn't matter. Um, you can still become a hunter. So in the hunter exams, he tells him he sees his potential. He tells him you can get this back when you actually properly hit me. So Gone learns about Nin at this tower and he trains Nin to finally fight him up at like level floor 200 or something like that. And he finally lays a hit on him. So he's like, all right, now you've gotten better, but you're still not good enough to beat me. Go learn more. And that's like was... the part where Mark Grayson punches Nolan Grayson. And Nolan Grayson says, please. Exactly. It's the same thing. He's just like, it's adorable. I'm glad you're trying. Go get better. And that's what yeah, he's there for. They all have their main, like each character, two main characters in the show have their main person that they have to fight. Uh, Kilawa is his older brother, which is his uh, white-haired, 12-year-old, Gones' white-haired, 12-year-old friend. And Gones is this magician. I cannot remember his name, even though I just got done watching the series. Um, that's how memorable he was. He was so memorable that your mind just he, noped he, out of that knowledge. He is memorable well, at for least being... his name, it wasn't... We introduced a new character who is super pivotal. He is the strongest and the coolest, and his name is Shitkill Soulfuck. Wow. How edgy. Hisoka. He is Hisoka. Hisoka. Yes. Uh, and he is famous course, for being creepy because there's like course, even memes about him. We don't speak Japanese well enough to realize the pun in the name. I don't. I don't know Japanese at all. Hmm. I'm just going to go ahead and guess that if this character fulfills a trope, that their name itself is a reflection of that trope somehow. What does Hisoka mean, sir? Let's find out. Because, uh, as Japanese speakers will say, well, it depends on the kanji. 
thank you for that fucking non-answer. I appreciate it. Hisoka, name, meaning. Secret. <laughs> Reserved and secretive. Ha! Secretly. Yep. Uh, again, does that improve your experience or does it make you go, fucking, I can't, I can't with this thing. <laughs> it doesn't do anything. He is a secret. He is creepy. And he gets slightly turned on by a little boy. So, uh, yeah, no, uh, creepy magician pedophile. Uh, you don't feel that arc. You don't see what happens afterwards. I know in the, the manga, he has somewhat kept going on with that. Like you said, when the first series came out, it was like 2001 to like 2005. So sure. by the time they got there, that part has already been filled. He met his dad and his dad's like the power of friendship. He's he, he's the Dominic Toretto, uh, except it's not family, it's friends because he just was like, well, I got a kid. Punt let's, him to my aunt. Let's <laughs> engage that for a second. Let's engage that for a second. So Dominic Toretto is a sorcerer. Uh, of immense ability, bending reality, typically adjacent to vehicles, but not exclusively. And his his focus, his arcane power source, is family. And yes. in the name of family, he conducts international crime and atrocity. But it's for family. And Dominic Toretto has an extremely narrow worldview, but bends reality irrespective of that. So... It is a malicious force that is best engaged towards a result so that world governments can say, you know, we really got to destabilize this country right here. Hey, Dom, they kidnapped your cousin. Family. And then just adventure happens and the Dominic passes through with his clan. And in the wake of that, exciting economic opportunities can occur. Uh, it, it doesn't have to be family. It could be kittens and rainbows. It really could. But the kittens and rainbows are used in a fashion to just warp, distort, and destroy orders of creation and being. So you can say, oh, his dad's all about like family, friendship, whatever. Yeah, but what if his dad is a, a conquering monster that just happens to use that that asset? Uh, in the same way as your entire career could be filming, producing, and distributing footage of you opening containers. Unboxings, if you will. What you do no longer matters to you. You just care about the result that it creates, that being attention and, and money. So you even stop associating with, yeah, you know, actually, when I, when I think about it, um, this is kind of dumb. That doesn't matter. It works for you. So that's just the thing you do to get what you want. In that context, I have to ask you, if you look at Gon's father, who is a, uh, let's call it a swerve from expectation and what the Shonen series desires, because maybe you thought he would pull out a, pull off a super cool series of moves and level up Gon some more. Instead, his dad says stuff like, boy, let's go home. I'll make pancakes. Like, how does, how does the tone affect you? And, in context, Gon's dad. Gon's... I like... Gon's dad, I don't mind. He's a nonsense... He's doing what he feels is best. He's made friends along the way. And he is just trying to find out about the outside world or the dark world. That's his goal. He wants to go explore there. And that's his goal. But he essentially tells Gone, like, you have friends. These friends are important. Go be with them. So I don't mind that slightly. But well, what what role are the friends playing? Because, again, I have to address this point. Uh, you know, cult leaders make friends and go towards ambitions and goals. And they'll say, yeah, they're just my friends. They're just friends. In the process of which he gets what he wants. 
is it left to be an abstract idea of just I'm going to put friendship on the table and I'll just leave this here and walk away, or you need to make friends. You need to make all the friends because that way eventually you become a god emperor. So go start making friends. Essentially, the point he was making was if you don't have friends, you won't succeed. And because of those friends, you succeeded the best you could and got here, but you still need them. So go be with them and then come find me in this other place. But you didn't care for that. Well, no, because I guess I don't care for it in the sense because they could have done so much more and expanded on it. But instead they were like, so they give you season five is 60 something episodes. Holy fuck. Why? I don't know. And then season six is 12 and they, that's how they end the series. And you're just like, you could have expanded on this more. He could have gone as friends. I get like Kilo believes he has to go protect his little sister. Oh, they couldn't expand upon it more. They had 60 episodes to do it in and accomplished. Not that. That's so no, they could not have expanded five. it more. I know. I know. That's what I'm saying. Would you say they could have? No, they couldn't. Because if they could have, they would have. They, but they did not. should have shortened season five because the biggest issue with season five, and I mentioned this last podcast, was that they jumped around way too much. It would be like in the in the Cell Saga arc. Yes, the main character is Cell versus Gohan and Goku, but while that's happening, like all they're cutting back to the Z fighters, like fighting each other, then the Z fighters uh, fighting a mountain, and then Yamcha just dying repeatedly for no apparent reason of being resurrected. Same with Krillin, and like they just keep cutting back and forth, and like every you get only get like two minutes of the fight of this main fight that you just like you could have ended this in like four episodes, and the only one they do that with is Gone. So when he finally gets to fight his person, uh, he freaking destroys them in like an episode, maybe episode and a half, because they bring it back up and what actually happens and how it ends, and you're just on the next episode. But you know he won because he cut her, he takes the Chimera ant's head off, and you're just like. Okay, that's how the fight should have happened in this. But instead, you started the Naruto, the Netero fight, like 20 episodes earlier. And then you didn't bring it back up for another 15 episodes. And then you started the fight. And then you did one or two episodes. And then you cut back to this other fight. And then you went back to it and finished it. And you're just like, why didn't you just condense this fight into like one or two episodes instead of jumping around and doing all this? Like the beginning plot of this arc, the Chimera Ant arc doesn't do that like we got to go on this mission we got to find these chimera ants they finally find these chimera uh, chimera ants and then an uh, important person dies Uh, you know it's it's interesting the more you say chimera ants the more sense it makes yeah that's what they're called uh they're called the chimera ants Uh uh-huh um does it matter not really they're they're ants are, are they are they an obstacle that occurs naturally that the characters have to solve is somebody making them? So no. You have, have to get past them to get at the guy? They do, because here's what happens. So Chimera, chimera ants, uh, the queen, when she eats something, that ant takes on a specific form. The next ant takes on the spe- specific form of itself, of that feature, whatever she ate. So if she eats a fish, the next ant's going to be part ant, part fish. Uh, if she eats a human, the next ant's going to be part ant, part human. If she eats a, a human that's really good at nin, that next creature is going to be part ant part human with really good nin abilities or so so. let's let's explore this uh nonsense premise yep is the part where it's an ant important kind of slightly because it sounds to me that a world that understands that this exists would be pretty on board with exterminating 
all of the ants that do that. Because ants are expansionist by their inclination, possibly design. And any time that the ants are left alive and alone, it's an implicit admission that we just hope it doesn't get to eat something problematic. Let it do what it do. Because, I don't know, conservationism, uh, biomass, ecosystem, whatever. But then when it eats a bad one, we gotta we got to take control of this. we gotta, we got to solve the situation. No, but so, you wait until that excuse, as opposed to, we have to purge all these ants immediately. So, the reason they do what they do is because these ants are not from their little world where all these humans live. Like, they're a part of the dark world, and these ants are specific. Oh, to- there's a dark world, of course. Yeah, yeah, there's a world outside of their world that's actually the real world, and that's what Gene, Gone's father, wants to go uh, explore. Oh, Oh. he needs friends for that. He has to make all the friends first, so he has to, in order to go visit, heavy finger quotes, another world, and heavy quotes, make friends there, because he's an imperialist expansionist prick. (laughs) But but the show doesn't focus on that. It's It's just friends. It's just friends. Stay in your lane. Make friends. And so, yes, these ants are special ants from this dark world, and they know about them, and they eat humans, but most of the time when they eat humans, they don't, you know, it hurts. Uh, but they're the small ants. For some reason, this queen is what? huge. Yeah. Sometimes, it's, you know that meme phrase that is taken out of context? People mm-hmm. die when they're killed. Yes. Yeah, okay. That's, that's what the fuck you just said. Sometimes, <laughs> when the well, ants eat the people, it hurts. <laughs> well, they do. Uh-huh. They, uh, you're, you're gonna have so much fun listening back to what the fuck you said. I think it to yourself. No, but in my head, it sounded different. No, no, this no, is no. why we practice effective okay. communication. It is. Um, so no, essentially, these ants, the, this queen ant has grown. Enough to the about size. the ants. It it does not matter. The writers do not have an ability to tie this together outside of the moment. In the moment, it's hype. You're invested. You hope your guy wins. You pause to look backwards. Says, no, don't look back. Next thing, Shonen. Okay. Yeah. No. But all let's the fights... approach. Let's let's go past the time skip. Uh-huh. Let's go past the parallel dimension. Let's go past the clone arc because at one point Gon is to tear out his hair to appear like clone Gon to be able to get his nin so he can hunt the hunters. Block that. Let's go to the end of the sixty episodes and the the progression of the twelve episodes or etc. Season five, season six. Okay. The end of season... When it gets to that town. What we, as the audience, listening to you understand is that a lot of show happened and almost none of it mattered. But now we're here. We found Dad, right? Correct. Okay. Go. So, uh, one last time mentioning the ants. The chairman of the the Hunters Association blows himself up uh, to get rid of the, the, the king ant. Leave off the up. He just blows himself <laughs> We spend it. We spent an episode and a half uncomfortably watching this man blow himself, but it's important to the plot. Okay, gotcha. Uh, so uh, the, the top of the stack sacrifices himself to finally deal with the ant problem, which we should have been dealt with two seasons ago. Correct. Um, so and Gon, because of his fight, made some contract. He's like, like when Kilowis shows up with, for his fight with the devil. He made a contract with the devil. Because why ass- wouldn't he? I'm assuming. So he gains thirty years on his life. His hair is a mile long. And he's like seven foot tall and built like the mountain. And no one else has been able to fight off the elite guard of the king because uh, they get this the extermination squad's there to do that. And how so, old? How old was Gon canonically before that particular event? Twelve. Twelve. Mm-hmm. Twelve. Fucking yep. twelve year olds. Uh, I remember, Chucks, when men get older, 
they um, they age slower. They become very attractive, stronger. Their penises get huge. There's just no downside. Getting older actually unlocks your your uh, your powers. Continue. Gone is now a Calipigian super person with with twin nin powers. Essentially, because he took all of that nin he would have gained in that time and put it all in his body at once. So now he's this overpowered super freak, and destroys the one chimera ant that killed his his dad's friend that was trying to teach him stuff. Uh, so he now has to destroy this ant. So after all that happens, you get to season six. Oh God, there's more. Yeah, season six starts on that at that it, end. It took it took sixty episodes. It took 60 episodes to say, Ant's bad, nothing effective. Sign this Deus Ex Machina contract to get all the powers. How did you get those powers? Not important. That that was actually a uh, separate show. We, we That was a season we threw out. <laughs> we couldn't con- uh, confidently do a part where Gon just gets older and deals with life. So instead, skip it. Just got stronger. Season That's, 6, here we are. Let's season, go. Season 6 is nothing but... Like, we're trying to wrap it up with a pretty bow, because now it starts with Gon's in the hospital. He may die, but Kill was not going to give up, and he's gonna, he'll, he knows a way. And so his deus, deus Ex Machina is his sister, who grants wishes, but his older brother wants her to die, um, because no medicine can help him, and all the best... Uh, Hold on. Back up to what you said. Mm-hmm. The phrase, his sister grants wishes. Yep. Has that been a show-long thing? No, you we find out. Fam- you find out in the last twelve episodes that she's here. <laughs> she's locked in a dark. She's not locked in a dark room. She's locked in this little playroom under what's, the family compound in a mountain, and he has to go get her out. What's in the basement, Aaron? What's in the basement, Aaron? I hope it's really something fucking important, Aaron. Essentially, that yeah. Okay. And so, okay. he. Hey, real quick. Um, wish granting is in my family bloodline. Because well, uh, my my great grandpa be fucked a genie, I guess. <laughs> or the genie fucked him. I don't know how it works anymore. Yeah, I'm not really sure how it works. But uh, what happened was is uh, he has to go get his sister, and his older brother wants to kill the sister. So he has to protect his older sister from his older brother to get to Gone to go save his life so he can... Uh, so his sister has a wish-granting side, which is Ninoka, and that's who grants wishes. But she can't heal anybody and do this wi- healing Oh no, wish. she has a split personality. Exactly. I'm not in control of my superpowers. Oh yeah, if you do four things she asks, uh, you die, and one person you love dies. Um, if you grant a wish um, that is hedonist, the next person has to take the punishment, whatever the punishment is. So, I want to escape this conversation. Mm-hmm. I want this conversation to not have happened. <laughs> but okay, we, we are here. Uh, yeah. I'm a quasi-adult. I can deal with these things. Yeah. Um, so that, now you start to understand why I was disappointed in the last, like the last two seasons. I'm disappointed like, in you for fucking watching as much as you did. <laughs> Halfway through the 60 episodes, with the benefit of foresight of knowing how long the fucking thing is, you didn't think maybe I should just get. No, maybe it gets better. Maybe it gets better. No, no, no. Because this this is the conversation that we have to have now, a side conversation, a stereo case, if you will, where living in modernity, there is now a much more rarefied and exotic environment for new things to come out, bit by bit. But it's very perilous because in a world where you have completed series that have existed for a good long while and they're known for being good or bad, you can approach them with context and with knowledge. Tell yourself, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go watch Black Clover, all 127 episodes, because the role this fulfills for me is just something on in the background. I need to, I need to see anime shapes move, and I, 
I'm not invested in any particular level. But if you are invested, you're probably a newer person to this kind of material. So maybe all the signposted developments are exciting and fresh and you haven't learned to recognize object permanence yet, you baby. Um, but outside of this, you can decide for yourself. You can say, ooh, you know, this this is uh this is four seasons. And I'm in season two and this is getting kind of rocky. Uh I'm gonna read ahead. I'm gonna read ahead and assess the remainder of my time and attention whether I want to finish this or not. I didn't do that, but we, I knew we, what happened at the end of it. I knew about we, we, and the chairman dying. So that's why I was like, just get to this. And I, I finally checked. I was like, how many goddamn episodes are left? And I looked, I'm like, oh, I'm on fifty-two. And I look. Fucking Jesus, sixty-five <sighs> episodes. And I was like, ah. Like, and I'm like, well, I'm here now. I might as well finish it. So you you lean into the sunk cost fallacy. There's only a little. I'm three quarters of the way through this turd. Well, I don't want to leave a partially eaten turd. That's a lot of explaining to do. I want to finish this turd. Uh, throwing it away is uh, is an option. No, Daddy Denry is a quitter. Hum, 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 hum. Exactly. Oh, that's 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 hurtful. Okay, so. So let me, I, let me... I'm terrified to know more because I just I see my my brain is assaulted with tropes and jokes about the tropes and criticisms about the tropes. I have to once again invoke Penny Arcade. I I have to find this 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 fucking strip and show it to you because I think I'll describe it as I have before. But but you read this and look at it and say yeah this checks out. So in meme fashion. You're you're watching a nonsense story progression. It makes no sense, right? These are these are parody characters, and they say things to each other like, "You'll never get the blades of the Witchalocks." You mean these? The blades of the Witchalocks. That means that's right. We can make wolfoids, and it makes as much sense as anything else that would have happened in this goddamn show. Uh, yeah. So let me finish this up so we can stop, I can stop having your brain try to implode on itself. Okay. So. Uh, you find out that uh, due to the chairman's wishes that he technically tells everybody instead of having everybody uh, the, the exploded chairman who is yeah. back in ghost form oh uh, by the way the, the image you sent me will not let me look will not let you look they won't let me see it um, so what, oh, ha weird. what happens is essentially he had a video already done like oh I'm resigning What here's my wishes you need to have the, the Zodiacs who Gon's father is on uh, which is the top 12 elite members of the Hunter Force. There, there's three star, four stars, all the da da da. And he wants to have a vote. And sometimes when Zenitsu is asleep, he can cut through reality. Yeah, essentially. So his thing is he wants to have a vote, and all hunters have to participate. And if it doesn't go over to 95% participation, that doesn't count, and you have to have a revote. Um, so they're sitting there. And they're like, well, us Zodiacs have to vote, so they have a meeting, and they all, and Gene essentially sets it up to where Netero's wishes will be made. Uh, and so that happens, and there's certain stipulations. So they're going through the process. While this process is going on to figure out who the chairman is, uh, Gon is dying, Kilo is off to go get his sister, and their uh, friend shows back up. Leoria, Leorio, o Oreo, I don't, can't fucking say his name right now. Uh, shows is back this up. the hill? Is is this the hill? It's the hill. And he he comes in and he punches Gene because he won't go see Gone. And he's like, 
Oh, you're a terrible father. You need to go see your kid. And he's just like, whatever. I don't care. Like, he won't die. He'll be fine. And he's like, you're you're an ass. You deserve it. Whatever happens to you. And so now... I could actually explain this very succinctly, but I'll choose not to and let you find out so we can have this resentment Mm. between each other. So good, good tropes, guys. Okay. So essentially, what happens is Leorio, who's not even a one-star hunter, is now in the running to become chairman. And uh, you have the oh, anti. Yeah, your your combat ability and your power level has nothing to do with your ability to manage a bureaucracy. That's true. Fuck yeah, put Moomin Rider at the top. You know why? Because that guy knows how to hustle and get things done. He will dispatch the appropriate agents to go handle the problem. What's that? Do you think the strongest should be at the top? Well, you deserve everything you get then. They they all want all the all the zodiacs don't want this one guy per, uh, Price Princeton Princeton something like that. Next, please. Okay, the specifics no longer matter. It doesn't matter. So vice Which chairman, they don't accurately read to you the events of the last quarter of Kill the Kill. No, it's I... about as enjoyable. No, I don't. I'm I'm waiting for that disappointment on my own. Um. So essentially what happens is this guy is essentially just want fun. And the reason he became vice chairman was because it was fun. So the last episode goes, uh, the episode before the last goes, it's down to the, the vice chairman and Leorio. And Leorio is like, vote for somebody else. Cause if you guys vote for me, I'm going to make y'all cure gone. And the other guy is just intentionally making rules and doing shit to piss people off and to have fun. Um, other guy wins, and he goes, all right, well, as of now, my first order is I resign, and I make the other girl who's going to be the best uh, uh, chairman, the chairman, I'm out, deuces, bitches. And everybody's just like, what mm. the fuck? And then mm. all of a sudden, Gone walks in, and he, uh, well, right before no, Gone, no longer dying. Gone, no longer dying, because uh, Kilua saves, uh, gets his sister to him after uh, creepy pedophile magician and uh, Kilua's older brother kill a bunch of people. Um you know, can't stop it. So that he gets there, cures Gone. Gone shows up, and he tells everybody, "Vote for that douchebag because he wants to be the our friend Leorio wants to be a doctor to save people, and he's not going to be a good leader." And then they go, "Oh, okay." So he wins. The guy gives it up, and then it's next episode. Gene's like, "I'll wait here if you show up. I'll tell you about everything." And then when he shows up, Gone shows up with Kilawa. It's Meet me at top of the world tree. And he's like, okay. And this is the last episode. And him, uh, Gone, Kilua, and Kilua's sister, Alika, all have to go find Gone at the world tree. And when they get there, Kilua's like, I'm going to go show my sister the world. It's been fun. We've been great friends. And they're just like, oh, God damn it. And he climbs up the tree and meets his dad. And his dad's like, family. But instead of family, it's friends. You gotta have friends. Isn't this great? And there's a world outside here, but I couldn't have done what I did and create the games and became the great explorer I did if it wasn't for friends. And you're just like, okay. And he sits there and all of a sudden he like, it cuts to his uh, friend Karapika. His, his, his. The problem when you start Gone. getting Gone's friend. Characters, yeah, Gone's friend Karapika. Uh-huh. Gone's friend Karapika, whose thing is to get back his clan's eyes that were killed by this troop. Just, just fuck off. <laughs> they, they do this in season two. Give me back my Sharingan. Essentially, he, it's red eyes. Uh, um, they took all of his eyes, and 
he's there to get them all back and destroy this troop and to get them back. And all it does is cut to him sitting around with like eight eyes and he still has to get like four more. And you're just like, you never, you never went back to that. I want to know what happens. God damn it. I want to know what this other world is like. I want to know what's going on. And instead you cut it off with friends. It's like if you ended fast and the furious with just Don Toretto walking in on the first scene and being like family and then fucking credits roll. And you're just like, are you, are you shit me. That's, that's not entirely accurate because you, if you're invested in the story, you could stop it at any point in time, and it would have worked pretty consistently, especially by the point where, if you want to equate it, uh, why not? Let's do that. Um, season four, you said, is 60 episodes, yeah? Five. Season five is 60 episodes. Mm-hmm. And that could be Fast and Furious 7, 8, and Hobbs and Shaw rolled together. Reasonably interchangeable, full of action, kind of scattered, but a really fun time if you put it into an abstraction. And then F9 is the unasked for last season of 12 episodes where you see the pieces moving, and it's kind of familiar, and you're hoping there's more, but there isn't. And wherever it ends, you'd say, man, that kind of fell apart. And your response should be, well, how could it not have? You've spent all of this time doing donuts in the parking lot. And by the end, Either the tower, the, the tire should explode, or the police show up, or you're out of gas. No, you just left the car and went to go get some Starbucks. And you go, I'm upset. Wait, what happened? I mean, at, the, at least you felt something as opposed to a logical conclusion. Anyway. It, um, it, it just left you wanting more, and they left a lot of stuff that wasn't finished. No, that, I don't want any more of this. There's nothing about this that I want more of. Well, I just want to see what the other world is like. I'd have to read the manga, I guess, but I'm too lazy to read a manga. Um, is is that the important part? The world building? Because the most you've told me about world building outside of stealing eyes and nin powers and assassin schools for 12-year-olds was, yeah, there's a dark world, and there's like these weird uh, crude-like ants that just absorb genes. Yeah, they get dealt with eventually. And maybe it's in the telling. Maybe it's in the way you express the story. Yeah, but... Um... Everything you've, you've told me, I don't see the appeal outside of it looks interesting. Visually speaking, the designs could, excuse me, appeal to you. But there's, it depends on how much you've seen as such, but there's so little original thought here. Or okay. even distinct from the storytelling. I will once again relate to the, the Korean comic run of Priest that I used to enjoy very much in my sophomore years. I'd be curious to reread it now and think to myself, I would most likely think, wow, yeah, this the writing does not hold up. The visuals definitely do, but I'm not here for the story anymore because that's a run that never finished. They got abandoned. But the point at which it was abandoned sure sounds like the beginning of the last season of Hunter Hunter here, where a quasi-immortal former priest turned vigilante cowboy who fights with a silver knife and dynamite and has occasional rage powers, uh, severs the arm of an angel to gain access into heaven to punch the number two man because he's upset about his lost love. That's farcical. That's dumb. And that's just one of the plot lines. Uh, But I wanted to see if the guy could do it. Yes, go ahead. Cut me off. I don't mean it. Yeah, I don't mean to cut you off. But as you were talking, I was also reading the comic that you sent me, the image. Yeah, I just like the second wolf in the back. He he's got the face of everybody else. Like, wait, this doesn't make any fucking sense. Everyone's <laughs> face is doing that. Like, but he... <laughs> while we have this little moment here, now that you read this comic, how do you think that relates to what you told me? 
Because how how do you like the dialogue in that exchange? It makes no fucking sense. Ah, oh, that means well, you escaped. Ver verbatim. It's been a million years since you first stole our Witchalock blades, banishing us to dark shadows of the Shadow Dark. And now we're back to get them back. You'll never get them back. Oh, really? Do you recognize these? Yeah. You know something? How does it make you feel that someone out there finds this gripping? Doesn't immediately see it for the joke that it is? And goes, yeah, yeah, and what happened next? I think, my opinion, when we're between the age of 8 and 18, man, shit is rad. It is so cool. I cannot wait to see the next thing that these characters do. Because we haven't lived long enough for context or consequence to matter. We, again, engage concepts like, yeah, and then his brother died. But if you live long enough and your brother dies, it can no longer hit you the same way it did before where you just dismiss it. Because your experiences have realigned your perception in such a way that it's not an empty phrase anymore. In such a way that most of us, most of us get by in life without being mass murderers. Uh, so we say genocide, and it's an empty enough, big enough concept that we can spin jokes about it. Hits Paul Pot different. He might say, yeah, 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 the thing that I do, yeah, my profession, my passion, my hobby. When I'm not committing genocide, I'm at home planning to commit more genocide. Or say if you are possibly a survivor of a group targeting you and your people for whatever reason, that might be a very difficult thing to joke about unless you're supremely mature and have turned gallows humor into a coping mechanism where we're discussing tragedy, but we're laughing while we do it to show kindness and compassion to one another. Anyway, that doesn't matter so much. I love me the Witchalocks. My question to you is, mm -hmm. initially, your displeasure with the conclusion of Gurren Lagann, you felt the main character acted in a poor fashion by forfeiting all the power he had amassed to his peers and turning away from that life. And you had sort of, you had sort of churned your opinion on that previously when you told me. You said, okay, yeah, now, now I can see why that would be a choice. I might not make the same choice, but I get it. Mm -hmm. Whereas I... your disappointment with Hunter Hunter now is that it's a poorly written show. Essentially, yes, it is. It leaves too many holes and doesn't fill anything. And the fights are just too scatterbrained. Like they're... So, I, I mentioned the other show he did, Yu Yu Hakusho. It ended in the same way. Like, we just gotta rush and finish this. Like, after the How dark... did you not see this coming, then? If you already have precedent with the dude. Because Yu Yu Hakusho... Well, same thing. Yu Yu Hakusho was good up until season three. This was good up until season four. Um, And then he was just... It just... We gotta, we gotta make this crazy ass shit, man. And we're just gonna, we're gonna just keep doing it. And you're just like, oh dear God, like, after, oh, oh Jesus. Okay, keep going. Just, just do something. And well, that's that, that's exactly the problem. The show has to continue. I have no more story. No, but the show has to continue. Well, I'm done telling that. No, dude, there's money on the table. The show has to keep going. That sort of compromised storytelling is a huge problem for me these days. I mean, the guy's loaded in money. I mean, his wife is the lady who wrote Sailor Moon. So doesn't matter. This this situation doesn't matter as much. It's it's yeah. anytime a property is recognizable, it is cashable, and it continues solely for the purpose of self continuation. And that is being unkind to the kind of market that really is only there to keep taking bites 
of whatever oatmeal cakes they're pressing out because people just sometimes really enjoy watching a dumb show because it makes them feel good. In continuity, out of continuity, doesn't matter. They recognize thing, thing brings them comfort. I get that. I'm the asshole in the situation. But as the as the asshole in the situation, fuck everything about this because that I interpret this as disrespect of the audience. You're you're tricking them over and over. It's like this little exploit, the little toggle switch in the back of your brain that if you click that switch, you forget the last thirty seconds. So you show someone a titty, and they go, ha, 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 and they clap, and you flick the switch, you repeat the same trick repeatedly, and it keeps working. If the person ever catches on the trick is happening, you just flick the switch again. So that's, I'm, mali- that's malicious. I'm, I'm reading the plot, the little end plot, plot, and they do end with a creepy pedophile. He, he, does, get, he does get his comeuppance, but it's hey, by a different person. So That's what it takes, okay? You want to train the best assassins out there. This is a crucial component of their training and development. I don't like it any more than you do, actually. I do. Um, but you you brought me on board to train the best hunters. What I do, the way that I do it, creates the best hunters. I rest my case. Oh, that's true. Come here, kid. <laughs> but it's it's a monstrosity. Do you want the ants to win? Do you want the ants to win? Well, no? he... well then let me get a handful. Yeah, so uh, I, I remember there was a person, me and you were sitting in the break room when we worked together uh, at Blow's Home Improvement, um, and he said, hey, man, and I didn't watch it because of this. Actually, it turned me off. And I'm just like, you know, I got nothing else to watch at the time. So I decided to watch it. But, what, what the fuck? How could you? How? How? So, I got no, nothing else to watch at the time. Holy shit, dude. Anime-wise, okay. I wanted so, to watch a Shonen so. show that wasn't One Piece. So let me finish, let me finish the story. Okay. Do you remember what he said to us? No, at all. Because there have been so many. I'm not even sure which moment you're talking about, but please walk I, me back to this memory that stands out to you. He was he was the daytime stalker guy, uh, the bigger guy. I don't remember his name, but he looked at me. He goes, "Man, Hunter Hunter's a great show. You just have to get okay, past yeah, the, past the first <laughs> ten or fifteen episodes, and it gets really good." Yeah. What? They're like, you just you just no, that's not how a show works. You don't tell me get past like the first season and a half, and it gets a re- becomes a really good show. Yeah, that's that. That's not how shows work, man. It better be good after five episodes, or it can go fuck itself. Well, let's let's explore this for a second. Is that exclusive to shows or any storytelling? No, shows mainly. Shows mainly. I I would disagree because this is an argument that's been levied against many things across media that we that I enjoy mm-hmm. that we enjoy. Uh, usually the argument is we talked about the Warframe example. It's not the same as you. You're not having to get through it. You enjoy the game, and then story happens. But sometimes you have this thing that happens with RPGs where, yeah, the first 20 hours, are, if, if it doesn't catch you, it's not, it's not a good experience. But then something happens that makes it a good experience. So the argument is, do you have to sit through it? Can you skip ahead with a save file? Will you lose out any meaningful understanding? Because having to sit through shit for it to get later is now an increasingly serious barrier for any kind of enjoyment because time is precious enough and you're saturated in stuff to give your attention to, and only so many hours are in the day, why should I even give you the trust to wait around till it gets good? Right? Even in the case of Invincible, which is getting more and more and more traction as being this, oh, amazing! Again, Watchmen exists, but if this is all you know, go ahead, look at the story too. The first episode is painful to sit through for me. Precisely because it gives you everything that has been established and familiar to to work with. We, we've discussed the power of anticipation. Wait you there? Well, you there? 
dissipation. There you go. A dissipation. That's what I was trying to say. Uh, sorry, stupid gag. But no, you're good. Again, you, you're building up this moment enough where the audience starts to check their watch to walk away, or the phone comes out, and then you land the moment. And say, wait, what the fuck? What did I miss? But that's sloppy these days. So, yeah, when when the person that was talking to us said, yeah, it's it's uh, most of the first season is not very good, but then this happens. That creates an interesting question. Should you just start at the good part? Like, read, read two paragraphs. This is what occurs. You look at the character images. This is the characters. And then this happens. That might be a valid path. But we struggle against that because as human beings, we develop. We like to be sequential in many of our endeavors, at least to repeat that pattern. Unless you grew up completely scatterbrained, in which case, what are you even doing here? You're not going to pay attention to whatever the fuck is happening in front of you. Uh, it's it's tricky. And this same person also had said, you know, Brow, you, you have to watch you have to watch this this anime film that is a precursor to the show. I believe it was No Game, No Life. And he he spoke about it with great affection. I saw the passion in his eyes. And he set up a good pitch, which was, maybe this is just where my mind is, but the, the, the political tensions of fantasy races creating super weapons to basically do a cold war with each other, and then somebody begins the issue, begins the conflict. And I had a difficult time enjoying watching the movie, even though it was well animated, because the writing just kept on throwing easy curveballs, and there was a noticeable amount of fan service. I thought, I recognize what this is, and I get what it's doing, but I'm just, it's not gripping me the way that this person told me about. And then I peeked at the show that follows, and there was just nothing there for me in terms of storytelling. Again, bright colors, attractive-looking characters, uh, setups of action and fantasy tropes. But I just can't. I just can't. I can't sit here and enjoy this conscionably, especially for a sequence of four seasons or whatever. But where that person stood, or rolled around more accurately, uh, that was their jam. We discussed similar subjects. We discussed things about D&D and storytelling and tropes and shows and films. And we could carry on a conversation that scaled, at the very least. They, they listened to me, and they responded. I listened to them, they responded. And we had good conversations. When I looked at what it is that this person enjoyed on a baseline level, I thought to myself, so are you just pretending? Are you just saying words that seem like you're with the picture? Or am I so completely out of frame of context that I can't enjoy this thing for what it is? Because ultimately... Likeable characters, nudity, sexual appeal, action, bright colors, suspense. These are all enjoyable on their own and even better when they are portrayed artfully, skillfully. But I've seen past the cloud layer to where that mountain goes. And I like to hang out in that rarefied air. So when I descend back down, if we want to use stratification as an allegory here, when I come back down to the plains and the valleys and I see what's happening, I think to myself, I want to go back to my mountain cave. Like, it's so good there that it spoils whatever this shit is. Yeah. Then again, when I see simple shit done well, like when I come back to the valley and they give me a taco and I go, this is a good-ass taco, I'm happy again. But across the street, they're also making tacos, but it, it just, like, it's mealy and the shell is falling apart and the meat seems underdone. And I think, well, there's a perfectly great taco across the fucking street. You don't have to go up the mountain. It's there. And the people say, well, I like what I like. This is all I know, and I, I refuse to try anything else. It, 
it's very frustrating for me because I want to help people expand their enjoyment, but I'm conscious that if you maybe grow too fast or you explore enough, it's hard to come back to what you know and still feel about it in a similar fashion. Um, I'm, I'm going to skip shows now, uh, but I will recommend a movie to you. I don't know if you've seen it yet. Uh, it's a, the newest anime thing I've seen so far that I've enjoyed. It's a movie. Uh, I don't know if you really want to call it anime. It's an animated movie, but uh, Silent Voice. Is it Voice. Resident Evil? No, Silent Voice. Silent Voice. Mm-hmm. Please, what platform is this available on? Netflix. Please, speak to me about A Silent Voice. Have you seen A Silent Voice? Uh, no, I was not aware it existed until you said this is a thing. Um, so it is a... I've seen the banner head for it. So it's, a, it's about this boy who bullies a deaf girl in school. Uh... And when he starts bullying it, he bullies her so bad that the mother moves schools. Um, another girl leaves because she tries learning ALS to help her. And he becomes ALS? a ALS? Is that a disease? No, not ALS. What the hell is it? What was it? Mar- ASL? Well, it's actually, it's not ASL, unless it's the Asian sign language. <laughs> was it ESL? Oh, yes. My bad. All, 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 the deaf people, all the deaf people are in an uproar right now. I can hear them humming. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a really good burn. Thank you for including that. Yeah, no problem. Okay, uh, please speak about this more. So she 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 leaves the school too, uh, but because he did this, this the, all the kids get punished. But he gets starts to get bullied, and then he shuts everything out. So you meet the uh, the main character, and he's about to go kill himself. Mm-hmm. He's about to go jump off a bridge, but he decides against it, and he goes, "You know what I'm going to go do? I'm going to go give this girl that I bullied her book back," and it start showing the journey of him become becoming friends with her trying to start, and then all of a sudden they start growing feelings for each other and she starts forcing him to go reconnect with all the friends he had in elementary and middle school before he went to high school um and connecting with everybody and they're going to the parks and it, it's really good it's a it's a real touchy-feely movie um i would recommend it i'm just going to go with that brief synopsis i don't want to ruin everything for you okay the, the, the theme here that I'm looking at this page is mostly mental health related. Yes, because at the at the end of the movie, something turns dark for her and you. Sure. And so what happens is, is it gets bad because she thinks she's ruining his his life, and he's like, "No, you're not." And so it, it's cool. It's it's a good way of looking at mental health and a good way about how you should treat people. Um, Here's my question to you. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at just the standard screenshots, etc. And I'm seeing a worrying amount of anime polish that, from the outside in, it feels like it will distract me from the message and the tone. Almost as if this is a higher budget production in the wrong format to tell the story. It is not. Possibly because, having seen enough anime to know where this is going, uh, it seems to me that there are certain abstractions in the mannerisms and the character speech, I, I don't have confidence in the writer's ability to convey with words what they want to talk about in the story outside of very common and simple means of addressing one another. And that is partly a function of how anime expectations work. I do have confidence in its visuals, its quiet moments, its unspoken moments. But I, from the outside in, I think that this is a poor format to try and explore this story. In context, maybe this is just sort of like, it's too densely layered in, but 
the part where Evangelion is not about the big robots, actually, a lot more is said within the boldness of the format, where you have bright colors, incredible visuals, and then just a whole lot of isolation, loneliness, and awkward timing. And that's an implicit language. Whereas this is a story with, as far as I can tell, no fantastical elements at all. It shows you with painstaking detail the mundanity of a modern urban Japanese life. Of kids, again, just maybe just fucking tired of kids' stories, possibly. Uh, and they're exploring, once again, in a school context, because that's just, that I can relate to that. I've been to school before, right? Uh, how hard it is to really deal with one another and express feelings without damaging the other person. I like the subject. I'm staring at the person telling the story, and I'm thinking, I'm not sure if you're equipped to do this, but you're telling me that it can't. That this this affected you in a meaningful way, and or you had a decent time watching this as a standalone piece of artistic expression. Not a series, a open and shut case of a book or a story. You're telling me that it's good enough on its own. I am. I would I would say watch it. Watch, watch it and come back to me and tell me what you think. Okay. That's something that I can do. Yep. Um, there's one more show, then I'll, I'll toss it over to you for seeing what you've been up to. No, I'm excited. Whatever catches your attention, because we need to practice you uh, explaining things. Because that, ooh, that Hunter Hunter was a disaster. But it's good. It's good experience. You you will you will have so much fun listening to yourself convey your point. Okay. Also, I think I know what it says. Part sorry for a silent voice. The movie Cole in the movie. That's what worries me too, because maybe like it's a longer story, but that's been cut down. Holy shit! Two hours, ten minutes. I'm worried. But okay, cool. Um. It's also because it shares a visual aesthetic with a few other super dreaming, flowery show banners that I've seen, and all the trailer footage is like ennui and caught on, caught on a feeling of disconnect that feels somehow outdated now in the world that we're living in. And I had an associate who firmly recommended, dude, you gotta watch Violet Evergarden. You gotta watch Violet Evergarden. It's so deep. And I watched it, and I had a lot of problems with how we try to tell the story it was telling, and how for most of its runtime, I didn't watch the movie, but the 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 first season, I guess, or the first half season. Anyway, it's wasted so much momentum saying there's a point, there's a point, there's a point. Then it delivers the point, and the point would have been better placed at a different moment in whatever episode they're telling. And the theme of grief, loss, injury, veterans, care, communication, like it. Yeah, this is not a new message, and the way you're going about yours seems awfully stylistic versus being profound. And if you're going to sell me on a notion of, we'll discuss deep things, I don't want a glossary while you show cleavage. I don't want you to just acknowledge the things, because that is, that's like subject baiting. You're doing nothing with the idea, you're just reminding me the idea exists. And some people need that to begin the conversation. At my current standpoint, I really want to have the dialogue. It's like you and me talking, and you say, man, we were going to discuss Hunter Hunter. I say, sweet, let's discuss it. And you don't discuss it. <laughs> you just say, and then, and then Gone, um, he found out his dad was a pirate, and then they went into the space, and then they punched the moon. And then friendship. Mm, that was certainly not what I wanted to happen. No, no, I, I wanted to, to vet, uh, express on Hunter Hunter why I was disappointed in it. Um, so- and you did. Yeah, it's badly written. That was your disappointment. <laughs> yeah, it's it's poorly written, very poorly written. Um, so the other show I watched, uh, I don't know if you saw this, uh, Marvel's What If the series came out. 
the first episode. I, I've seen the creators that I follow on YouTube pop off about it. The people who usually discuss comic books. And so far, I have a very poor idea of what the show is or even why the show is, even though I completely understand exactly why the show is in a meta business kind of context. So, Not that it adds anything particularly valuable to the conversation. So since the late 70s, early 80s, Marvel has done What If This Happened? Uh, what if instead of... Yeah, was the zombie books? Yeah, the Marvel zombies are part of the What If universe. Uh, uh-huh. But a big one's like, what if Wolverine killed the Hulk instead of him capturing the Hulk and things turned out? Or what if Doctor Strange and the Man-Thing became Doctor Strange Man-Thing? Uh, or Doctor... Yeah, Doctor Strange Man thing, and there's tons of them. So this explores that universe, and what it is, it's the Watcher essentially saying, I watch all the universes, and here's one universe, and here's one story. So it, it, it that's the whole concept. You're just seeing different what-ifs. So like the first episode is... Is, is it presented in a love-death-robot style of anthology? These are completely disconnected short vignettes, or are they trying to staple these together nope they're completely disconnected they're all different universes because so the you hear the watcher he somewhat narrates and in in the very beginning of the first episode so the first episode is what if peggy carter became captain america instead of steve rogers um and that's it and he tells you and she so in the movie you see uh peggy go upstairs instead in this one he's like right here here's where everything changes i'll stay whole scenario changes and like this where the different universe ventured off and this is the start of this universe for this situation um so this this is how it's explained and so it shows you what happens if peggy carter became captain america and essentially steve rogers becomes the first iron man thanks to uh tony stark's dad uh mr stark and so he's you know it goes through their adventures and how they stopped hydra um, and so that's the first one, like, and then it does the same ending essentially as, uh, kind of the same ending as, uh, Captain America, where he comes 70 years in the future. And, uh, he's like, the way you say that, he projects his spunk 70 years in the future. Well, no, so into tomorrow. So like in the, in the, in the movies, he's frozen in Antarctica, they recover him and then he become, you know, they tell him, Hey, Mr. Rogers, it's now, you know, 2011 and this one uh-huh. she has to push back some tentacle monster some people believe it is uh shumagorath who is one of like uh-huh. Dormammu's uh henchmen and sure. uh she gets caught in the tesseract trying to keep door uh the tentacle monster in there and then uh nick fury and hawkeye release her from the tesseract and she pops out and it's they're like she's like where's steve and they're like uh Agent Carter at 70 years in the future, and she's like, oh, damn it. I owed him a dance. So, it, it's a it's a nice little concept. I want to see what they do more with it. Uh, they're supposed to explore Marvel zombies, is what I understand. Somewhat. Okay, so, once again, mm-hmm. all of this already exists in written form, yeah? Not all of it, no. Okay. There are one or two comics where Peggy, I think one comic where Peggy becomes Captain Britain, and there's another one where she comes like assassin, and then there's there's a multitude of what ifs. You'll have to look up all the what if comics. Um, like what if, uh, like one some of the big ones. 
are like what what if Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe? Da 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 da. Or a lot of them are Deadpool kills the Marvel Universe. Some somebody somebody kills the Marvel Universe. Marvel zombies. What if this happened? What you'll have to look them all up. I don't know all of them. So I want to see sure. where they go with it and see how they do it. But it, right now it looks like it's an anthology series. None of them should be tied in unless someone like you know where it'll go with it. Where? Nowhere. Yeah, no, it won't go anywhere. What this is, unfortunately, I have to be the cynic here. Is a test bed for future properties. Yes. Maybe the best thing to come out of this is that we'll get to see Beta Ray Bill on screen in a mainline Marvel offering. I want to see. And Frog. the reason, but that's that's kind of the thing. This, to me, the way it's presented, really, really, really feels like Ready Player One. It's not we're going to put everything you recognize on screen. Screen. Um, like Space Jam, the new Legacy Two. I haven't seen it's, that. It's it's let's. I haven't seen it, but I've I've listened enough to the impressions to think to myself, this is something I will look at eventually. Right now is not the time for this. Uh, here, uh, here's a cool idea. Here's a cool idea. Here's a cool idea. What if, like it says, yeah, yeah, and it's a conversation starter, except for the conversation goes nowhere because. The only way to make sense of what's happening is you have to take a highly recognizable facet or element and then pivotally change it, but not in a way that matters. Which is to say, you take two characters we know. Steve Rogers and the one that you named, who I don't know. Peggy Carter. Agent Carter. Peggy Carter. Agent Carter. Okay, I don't follow the story enough. But you have to already be sold on the principle that Peggy Carter and Steve Rogers matter. Because Steve Rogers goes on to become a very prominent figure, so does she, but in a different way. And then you flip it. What if she gets the powers? But not to say that Steve Rogers doesn't do anything. Like you say, he is going to also fill in another recognizable role from somebody else. And then you're meant to go, well, think of the ramifications like, well, but it doesn't go anywhere unless somebody says, please keep writing that story and keep remixing things. You have the context of the of the watcher saying, you know what I saw the other day? And he just kind of tells you a rambling story about what happened. And a glimpse, in a moment, a throwaway moment. And you might ask him, well, then watch her. What happened next? He goes, and eh, I remember. Eh, whatever. Stop paying attention. It wasn't cool anymore. So these are very flavorful, but ultimately throwaway experiences, I think. But the reason I say this is because it's taking place in the Marvel Universe, which has already been ultra-commodified to be whatever you want it to. And you could do these stories and matchups and setups and changes on a number of levels, but they wouldn't be as recognizable. It's just that there's a media saturation of the subject where you don't have to work very hard to figure out what's happening. And it's satisfying, but that just used to be writing comics before. And all these, all, all these what-ifs in the hands of capable writers create interesting set pieces. And if it becomes popular enough, that becomes canon elsewhere. Uh, from the DC side of things, I do really enjoy the example of Superman Red Sun. But that just happens to fall within my purview of a recognizable, historically, but also fairly well-executed premise where we still have a Batman. We still have a Prince Diana. We still have these characters. They just all shift position based upon our pivotal guy, Superman, being raised in the Soviet Union versus the US of A. And what I struggle with is that people so poorly understand their own reality that it starts saying, 
we're going to make really profound changes to people. It, it, it only works if you don't know how it works. If there's a superhero, it's super good at hacking. People don't really understand how and why, but they get that hacking is a thing, and then that's, you know, intrusion into a database could give you power. You could say, I'm in. There's conversation now, increasingly looming on the, on the verge of our reality of who gets to the quantum compute first, because whoever gets there first is basically bringing guns and horses to the savage lands, if you will. You can do whatever. You just have the muscle to do whatever. Eventually, we'll talk about ethics, but right now, you have the advantage. That's why seeing Marvel's what-if first few episodes of whatever run there is really comes off to me as just another awareness refresh for future projects to cynically stamp out stories that are repackaged and recycled without any particular substance. But I'm aware that that makes me sound boomery and gatekeepery because the cool new thing that happened is not one that I look at and say, yeah, I'm down. I'm excited. I want to go see. It, it doesn't have my confidence, especially, again, in the wake of Image Comics' is offering that is not being repackaged and redistributed, where it starts to raise questions or topics that I'm interested in. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure if it has the merit to boil it down and put it down. Because it's a, it's a, it's a sequence story, it has adventures, but it has a progression. It matters which order you watch the episodes in. And it's not finished yet, so it's really hard to judge. It could pull a Hunter Hunter and then have a super bloated middle and then a rushed end and no one's happy. The thought managed to stop two seasons ago. So, so I'm sorry to be a, a, a negative Nancy on this, but no, you're you're good, man. I, I you're here to we're both here to voice our opinions on things. So I'm gonna uh, first what if issue was what if Spider Man joined the Fantastic Four? That doesn't. That doesn't seem like a good what-if series. No, it could be. If a good writer writes it. You could give me whatever character. Okay, how about this? Still on cocaine, Stephen King writes a recognizable character from DC or Marvel. Would you want to read that? Yes. Why? Because it would probably be really nuts, and I would want to see where he takes it. Is he a comic book writer? Nope. Okay, so for him it would be a flex because he goes, you know what? Let me try my hand at this, and he probably would. It would be flawed for sure, and it would have his tropisms in it. But you would be intrigued to say, how do you lend your voice to this conversation, and what are you? What do you end up saying? As opposed to capable comic book writers that write comic books, they're they're within their format, and they know what they know. Their their skill set is more honed, but also limited. And I don't have a lot of interest in what they have to say because they work on a framework that whatever I say now has to stack with future elements that I'll bolt onto the story or whatever I finish, someone else will take and riff on and iterate on as opposed to I had a series of thoughts. I put them together into a, a book or a run of issues and here it is. That stands alone. That's, that's done. Somebody else fucks with it, fine. But I had my piece, I had my say, and I said it. And it didn't take me seven seasons. That's kind of the compromise of, I, I want to finish my story, but also like getting paid. So I can probably trickle in that story over time. So, yeah, uh, what if Spider-Man joined the Fantastic Four? Um, that has merits, but are you just here for the power set or the weird team dynamics? Because um, if we're being mean-spirited about it, I think Thing would just crush his face in after 25 minutes of being confined in a room with Spider-Man discussing 
just whatever, just mouthing off. But Thing has to be very clever about it because he can sense danger. He has to make it really like a- accidental or nonchalant. Maybe one of those yawn slaps, but it just happens to clobber his head in. Hmm. I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I'm. Let me let me think how I want to word this. Please, I I think. Like the first, like you said, the first issue that, I, like I said, I chimed off the first issue was what if Spider-Man joined the Fantastic Four? Would it be the Fantastic Four? No. Would it would it be different? Uh, yes, because Spider-Man. I, I think Spider-Man joined. It wouldn't be the same Spider-Man. He would have that team dynamic now, so he wouldn't have the cocky, loudmouth uh, Spider-Man that we know. Um, Why would he not? Why? I Why just, not? I just think with all the characters, Reed Richards, Sue Storm, and Ben, the only person who would let him have that personality would be Johnny, who would, you know, kind of have it with, you know, do it with him. But being in a team format, I think he would kind of cool that, cool his jets on that. And I don't know, I'd have to read the comic. I, I think the concept, like you said, is for the show is more of a, hey, let's see what we can throw out there and see if anybody runs with it. And we may be able to throw off a series. So, like, you know, like they may do one like, what if Gwen Stacy was Spider-Man instead of Peter Parker? Like, there's already that. There's Spider-Gwen. They did that to end the Spider-Verse. You know what would happen? And nobody would portray this because it's not sexy? What? Peter Parker and Reed Richards would just live in the lab and develop a strong bond together, being science-minded individuals, and just continuously spend less and less time in costume because they could achieve more with their capital outreach and scientific pursuits and uh, re-engineering the world. Until they slowly became like a tech technocracy. <laughs> Whereas the rest of the team goes, I just want to punch shit. Well, I mean, I did that for a while. I saved the neighborhood and you know, people kept suffering. But if we put our minds together, we're on the team, we could really do a lot more good from the lab than stretching and swinging across the city. Let's just do that. And then they did they'd make that amount of capital to buy out Dr. Doom and just take over the world. That's not sexy. No one's going to do that. But that's, that's the beauty of what ifs. Yeah. Who cares? Like, Whatever uh... sticks... We'll develop that later. I think there's one that's like, what if the Punisher and Wolverine was one person? Like, what if the Punisher and Wolverine was one person? Mm-hmm. Like, it isn't named that. It's like something else. Sure. But but who are these people? That's the problem. Are they being addressed as people slash characters? Or are we just clashing up power sets? Because you have to satisfy both crowds, and you won't. You'll usually cater to the one that came for the spectacle. Yeah, so I know that... Because exploring Frank Castle is dark. Exploring Logan is dark. So an amnesiac, ultra-justified murder machine that won't die and thinks it needs to mete out its justice everywhere, that's a villain. That's a nightmare scenario. I know the one that I've seen, and I was watching it on a video was what if Doctor Strange and Punisher became one person? So Doctor Strange dies, puts his soul in the Punisher. And at the end of the comic, I think Deadpool kills him because he's trying to use too much magic instead of his guns and stuff, and he gets killed instead. And it's like, I guess that could possibly work out, but I don't see Frank Castle really like giving up his weapons because Doctor Strange is in, gave him the power to be the uh, Sorcerer Supreme. So yeah, I could see him shooting guns and then using a little bit of magic, then pulling his guns back out, then you know using more magic. But I don't see him being like, "I know how to do magic now. I'm gonna be the baddest magician of all time while taking out my vengeance." I don't, I do, I couldn't see that happening. 
that's the conflict here. Fan expectations based on the things they enjoy. Who are you trying to satisfy? Because I would say that Frank Castle, knowing the character mostly from the outside and not spending too much time with the comics, because I'm sure there's something out there that decanonizes whatever we're speaking about, uh, is a fundamentally damaged person that knows guns well. Maybe he's on the spectrum. Hard to say. He's super obsessed with this as a solution, as explosives and etc. But then that's the usually the skill set of any other justice doer who doesn't have supernatural ability, and the guns themselves are merely a vector of expressing his will onto others. So if Frank Castle were given a reliable method of doing that, i.e. magic, I think in a heartbeat he would drop his signature stuff to do what it takes to express to the world what his brand of judgment looks like. But the fans would disagree because he's known for the skull, the leather apparel, or the t-shirts, uh, imposing jawline, slick hair, and guns. Lots of guns. But now we're discussing the projected identity versus the character as written, because these all, all these characters began as loud concepts with a couple of gimmicks and then with the benefit of existing for 60 years, you know, a lifetime, for example, there's room to explore their nuance and to get wacky with it. Uh, Frank Castle is not allowed to get over his grief because then he would stop doing Frank Castle stuff. But then Frank Castle stuff gone too far is murdering the Marvel Universe. So it's, yeah, what if can exist? Because all these ideas can exist. It's just a shame that it's a sea of ideas. And if you populate the playing field enough, people will pick their favorite and pretty much refuse to acknowledge any others as being valid because they found their favorite. It is ultimately a divisive concept because in spending all the time glimpsing a bunch of separate situations, no one's really ruminating on a similar set of thoughts. So I don't know that this is a net benefit to anybody in particular, especially when you consider the media nightmare that is Marvel at this point. But I'm glad you enjoyed what you saw so far of Marvel's What If. I imagine you'll be tuning in to see what else they throw out there. Yeah, I'm going to be definitely tuning in for that. Um, see what's going on. So what do you... What do you I, have you I have seen? one for you. Yeah, let's say, what have, you been, what have you been watching? I haven't seen this movie yet. But I'm very encouraged by this movie existing. I'm actually hopeful to the point where I think I will go to see it on the screen, if I can, before it's available more widely. And it maybe is not one that you would expect me to endorse. Have you heard of Free Guy? Yes, I want to see it. You want to see it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Why do you think I'm excited about Free Guy? I'm not sure. Mm. Because knowing you, it could be a multitude of things, and I'm not 100% sure what the reason is particularly. But go go ahead. Explain to me why you want to watch it. No, no, no. Take a stab or two. Try. Um, it's finally exploring what happens in the world of NPCs. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Like I said, there could be a multitude of reasons for you. Well, that happens to be one that I really dig. And it's a shame because the movie apparently stands on its own merits. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and guess that we're never getting a Mog World movie. Mog World? Which one's Mog World? Mog World was, I think, the first, if not one of the first, published works that Ben Yahtzee Croshaw published. Oh, yeah. Put it out in the world. And uh, Mog World is not necessarily original. In fact, I think I need to start reading the Discworld books because Mr. Pratchett uh, wrote a lot of good shit 
both leading into and defying genre tropes of fantasy. But I hear Discworld, I, I've heard it for years, but I'm more interested now to see what the writer can do, especially as he became greatly embittered in his life due to Alzheimer's being a fucking problem. And uh, his tone changed, <laughs> expectedly, because you know you're dying, but you still want to create works of art. Anyway, free guy, Mogworld is set in a test server for an MMO, right? And people mostly gravitated towards the book in the same way to say, hey dude, you should watch Sword Art Online, because it deals with MMOs, and just by touching the subject of your thing that you enjoy, automatically it's a good story, isn't it? No, not usually. Mogworld was following the improbable first-hand account, third-hand account, of an NPC that survived a server wipe develops abilities outside of what they're supposed to. Not necessarily superpowers, just, oh, I get to persist, and I get to explore this world from a very different perspective and possibly make friends along the way and to figure out what the nature of myself is. In a book, you have a lot more time to linger with words and moments. In a film, not so much. So I'm not surprised that Free Guy, for aesthetic reasons, borrows more from Fortnite and GTA than, say, Final Fantasy XIV or EverQuest. I'm not surprised by this. What I'm pleased to hear, if not see, is that we are addressing the surface of it being game. We're addressing the context of being within a world that appears to be a simulation. We're addressing the world witnessing this through modernity of streaming and media exposure. And we're here to laugh, and we're here to blow things up, and we're here to possibly have character growth. That's a lot of positive elements in a movie that looks pretty empty on the outside, especially with poster and such, and Ron Reynolds' gormless face. But I'm excited by this, because it might have a conversation with its audience that I'm interested in hear hearing and having, while giving us laughs and action and suspense. And ultimately, I think it's going to be a bit of a throwaway, regrettably, but I'd like to see do well, or at the very least, spend my time with this concept. But it's almost kind of like, remember um, College Humor's uh, Eskimo Dating Words sketch? Oh, yeah, yeah. You remember, you remember Clone Bone? Yes. Okay. Uh, it's not fair to this movie that I'm basically looking at it going like, you remind me of this other, other person I really wanted to bone. That's not fair. I can let the movie speak in its own terms. But that's kind of why I'm picking it out of the crowd thinking, holy shit, I think I'd really like to participate in this. I probably won't see it in hard print in a long time, and I don't know which service it will end up on. Probably Amazon when it's uh, all said and done. But uh, if it's still in theaters and time is available, I think I'd like to go and take my wife with me. Hmm. So that's an example of a positive uh, towards a new thing coming out so that the audience is like, oh, Browbeat just shits on everything that's new. No, not the case. But I am very sensitive to uh, laughing at versus laughing with the audience. Kind of the same way people say, you should really watch Big Bang Theory. That's like a really good show. Guys, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I think it's a very toxic show. But, you know, maybe it's just not for me. So that's, that's Free Guy. And I'm guessing, since you're excited, you also like to see it. So if we happen to see it, we can discuss it, yeah? Yeah, I, uh, I don't know if I'm going to theaters to see it. I may. Um, <clears throat> I may go early one day and go watch it, and then we can discuss it. Uh, I haven't seen anything else I really want to watch. I'm, I'm, I can go watch uh, Suicide Squad, but I uh, don't know if I will. You should. It's one that I will, I will be seeing with my wife. I got HBO Max. Why? So I, 
I'll probably go watch it. Do you know it. why? Why, sir? Why am I going to go see the Suicide Squad? James Gunn? Because, well, yes, but James Gunn is not always for everyone. Do you remember the movie Super? Yeah, that's the Superman clone. No. No, that was uh, something else. Yeah, my bad. Um, Super. Which... Super is the one with the, I can't remember the comedian's name, where he thinks he's a superhero or some crap like that. Shut up, crime! Yes, that one. I would say Super is curious, but I can't really say that I enjoyed watching it. It was fun at the time. I may enjoy it this time around too, but it's very mean and it's very pessimistic. And like you say, it's engaging with the delusion of thinking that you have a supernatural ability to affect the world when in reality you have a costume and a pipe wrench. And I mean, you can do damage with a pipe wrench, but that's, that's Frank Castle when he's out of ammo and out of training, and out of, out of muscle. Super is an interesting idea rolling out on screen, and you see it, and you go, boy, um, mm, okay, that's curious. But I can't endorse it and say, go see that movie. You remember Slither? Yeah, that's, uh, what's his name? The guy who played Yondu. Michael Rooker, yes. Thank you. He, he, Ama- yeah. Amazing man, Michael Rooker. Yes, he's very, very and good. Nathan actor. Fillion. And Nathan Fillion. And, and that's uh, why I did for the longest time, I didn't watch Walking Dead because by episode two, I think they left Michael Rooker like on a roof, chained up to die. And I said, nope, I'm outie. <laughs> I can't uh, watch the story in good conscience. I think that was one of Elizabeth Elizabeth Banks' first films, too. Maybe. But point being, <clears throat> the reason I'm bringing these up is because James Gunn wrote those and directed those. And James Gunn has a lot of curious things to say, but James Gunn is also not a uh, infallible quality. Not everything he has has to say is something you should really be interested in. Uh, people really enjoy Guardians of the Galaxy. I haven't rewatched them in some time, but that's James Gunn playing polite under Marvel rules, if you will. So see, having James Gunn be around to, again, have a superhero conversation, but on his terms, as I'm given to understand, the movie is actually reasonably violent. Uh, I am curious to what he can say with these characters, but it's Almost as if to say, I'm not invested in any of the people appearing in this film. But I would like to see actors enjoy themselves in creating a movie about a subject of basically marching out villains to die. In context, it is an interesting conversation. In execution, it appears to be competent. The mix of violence and humor is cathartically satisfying for me. And of course... Even though it's positioned to be a sequel to the, what was it, 2016 Suicide Squad? It's not a sequel, but not a remake either. Right. It's, it's nebulous. And that's what makes it curious, because this world acknowledges that other things have happened. But this peek into this world gives us time to spend. And to watch an idea, even a middling one done well, is something I take satisfaction in. So I would like to see a modern production of a miserable story, but this time edited and executed well, because I think film craft is exceptionally satisfying when the pieces work how they're supposed to, with less studio involvement. But by no means am I expecting a masterpiece either. This just appears to be a good one for a change. Hence my trepidations towards looking at the banner for Dune, thinking, oh boy, I don't know how to feel about this. Uh, I never saw the original one with Sting and uh, other people. I just know Sting's in it. In the 80s. If, if nothing else, 
if nothing else, you could go in with... Yeah, Sting's in it. The Lynch iteration of the movie Dune. It is an experience. It is not for everyone, and it is very 80s, and it gets more impressive when you consider what had to happen for that movie to exist. On the other hand, Denis Villeneuve, um, not a lot of his movies do very well, money-wise. They're costly, especially Blade Runner 2049. But it's... I, I like to see him paint with color, shape, and framing. It is very satisfying. It's just that I have to be less invested in the story it's based on and more about what this filmmaker wants to express with what he's given, the confines that he's given. So, on those terms, I'm sure it'll be a visual treat. But at the same time, even if you watch the new Dune and the old Dune, Chucks, I don't know that either one of these represent the book, slash the books, the world setting. You'll get mood, but it's hard to grip what the real themes are, and that's something that Mr. Tex addresses pretty well. Yeah, And that's, kind of, that's hard, because you can and you should appreciate things for what they are in isolation, but then context happens. And I think it benefits the person who is engaging the idea or the craft in front of them to then also process it in context to themselves, to the property that's involved with, etc. I gotcha. I've never read the Dune books. I don't know what how they are. Couldn't tell you anything about them. Spoiler, they're good. At least one of them is good. I would have to reread the set. But I would wager you would have a really good time because you uh you have a hard on for imperialism. I do indeed. Every time you and, say the word, I, I, I go from six to midnight. Yeah, I hear the desk go bump. <laughs> Dune is... Do you know anything about it? Uh, I know it's a desert world. They have to use these special breathers, and there's some form of rebellion. That, that's about it. That's You know what? I won't say anything else. That's, that's a pretty good place to start. But... Uh... The more you think about it logically, the more you recognize that the, the writer really did think this through, the more satisfying it becomes. And there's plenty of times you go, ah, oh, that's dumb. Why are they doing it this way? And then you come across the answer, you say, oh, well, actually, with that set of givens, that makes sense. Uh, I have something to say that's uh, definitely a hot take. No one's said this before that I think you'll find very pleasing. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Uh, just for you, basically, I had done a run-through of uh, Leon's story in Resident Evil 2 Remake, the Re2Re. Oh, how'd you... Uh, PS4, PC, what'd you do it on? I did it on the PS4. Okay. Uh, I had to play it in a way that was pleasant to me, which is not the way you play it. Do go on, I want to hear how you played it. Oh, very simple. Uh, one that was on sale when I picked it up, I just had the infinite ammo guns from the very beginning. The so uh, I just I just removed the ammo element at all, and I had a great time. Well, no, I didn't have a great time. Uh, I understand what you seek from these kinds of games. and I, I, I know we've talked about this before as well. The experience that RE2 and the remake of RE2 deliver are they're different experiences. Absolutely. But I have a better time with it now. It's just that much of what it does for tension is a disservice to my psyche. 
not having to worry about ammunition, but still considering health and playing on sticks, which I did not enjoy. But again, the game has a an assist option where it sort of drifts the cursor towards the people's heads. It's not reliable, but it's there. Uh, when you played it back on PC, I bitched about it quite a bit that the controls felt so good that it made no sense that the guns felt so puny. And it was an early enough point in the game before you get access to a greater amount of arsenal, where I think I spent the first... I, th I think getting the medallions is Leon. Most of the time I spent with the infinite ammo pistol, which does not have any upgrades like your basic gun, the Matilda does, so it doesn't become a better weapon over time. It's just it's the solution. You point it at the enemy and you squeeze off all the rounds you can, and boy, it takes a long time for those heads to explode, so you can be certain that that body will not get up again. And then I switched over to the unlimited ammunition submachine gun, and the, the, the rhythm of combat changed, because it wasn't about scoring headshots, it was about sawing off legs and arms. It became dead space for a little bit there. Because precision wasn't necessary anymore, it's just keep a middle distance and then just draw a line of bullets across the enemy. Make them stop moving at you, then make them stop moving, period. And yeah, I, I recognize that is not the RE2 experience that you're supposed to have, and that experience I've seen through you, and it's not the one I'm looking for. I, I don't enjoy the tensions this game places upon you. Uh, limited inventory. Frustrating. Limited health resources. Frustrating. Limited ammunition. Frustrating. All these things exist in Dead Space. And yet I find the experience much more congruent. And then you add in Mr. X. Uh, for about... You, sir. Don't forget that. Oh, she wouldn't let me forget it either. Uh, for a third of the game. And then for a couple of splashes. Even though I rationally understood that I have a solution to dealing with Mr. X. Even in a tight room, find any kind of straightaway or chase him around. Uh, and then uh, get him to take a knee. Shoot him as many times as it takes to take that knee. But even when I was wielding the minigun, even then, the anxiety I felt from this element just being there to interrupt my pace of exploration or traversal, it's a pressure element I didn't appreciate. I didn't like it in Dead Space when you had an enemy that kept regenerating, and the game gave you a way to deal with that enemy on a permanent basis, once or twice. Just the idea that this fucking thing won't stop and I'm being chased around really affects my enjoyment of being in any place, especially one as painstakingly detailed as the Raccoon City Police Department. Because, Chucks, I really appreciate this game existing. I really appreciate the engine, the portrayal. I didn't really get off very much on the gore, to be honest, but I, again, respect that this is the mood, this is what they're showing, and they really take the time to establish a sense of identity for the police department. Less so in other environments, because the shitty sewers are the shitty sewers, but they're, lo they're lovingly shitty sewers. And the obligatory umbrella secret base installation was uh, even something as simple as light sources and reflective surfaces. That was really nice. I had a good time, even though I didn't appreciate the plant zombies uh, that you have to burn, and the game was highly unintuitive whether burning them a little is enough. Apparently, no. We have to keep burning them until they get extra crispy. Okay, fine. <laughs> Infinite ammo means I kneecap them and I continue my day. That's fine. Having the knowledge that at least one thing is certain, you will not run out of bullets, gave me the encouragement to keep playing. To the extent where I started Claire's run, actually. Uh, and 
and this is really dumb because like it's everything that you love about this particular setting and series and everything that I despise about it. Even the very beginning where the game puts you in a tutorial sequence where you're investigating a gas station. Just the find key, get out, zombies, you have four shots left section that you don't really even need to shoot anyone. I don't like being there. I don't enjoy being thusly out of resources. And that says a lot about my psyche, for sure. But the game does such a good job at establishing the dynamic of your only goal is to get out. However you solve your obstacles, there's a few different options. I, I thank it for doing it well, and I hate every second of that experience. Because maybe I want to stop and peruse the shelves. Like, I really just want to look at this well-detailed uh, convenience store that's supposed to be a high-budget replica of whatever any other fucking place you've been to that looks like that. The game says, no, the lights are going to flicker, the blood's going to start pooling at your feet, and you need to get out. Because what's important is not that this place looks fantastic. What's important is you got to go meet the other character by the door. And then Hamburger Man is going to make everything worse. Uh, but yeah, with Claire's run, I just I skipped right to the rocket launcher, and I didn't realize that you don't take any splash damage. So that's that solves combat pretty much. It's run up to things, put a <laughs> rocket at your feet. Um, it's really encouraging because when the zombie corpses are glowing orange from the heat blast, you know they're not coming back. So again, it resolves insecurities and anxieties. And I'm playing with a guide too, so oh, I came across a lock. Oh, it's this lock opens. I am skipping massive chunks of the normal play experience of really just staring at your shoes going, okay, so if, um, I have to take it to the scepter and then get the jewel and put it in the box and then it gives me a badge and the badge I put in the dongle. Um, I have two shotgun rounds, uh, half a herb. My pistol's wet so I can't fire it. I have diarrhea, but I have to get across from here to there without getting eaten to death by dogs. Yeah, that's. I don't enjoy playing those games, so, but I'm taking the the time to uh, place myself in that environment to experience them at the very least. So let me let me. I just want to make sure I heard this. You enjoyed the game. Uh, I had a really good time. Okay. Once I tailored the game to the way it's not meant to be played, I had a really good time. I am not sure if I'll continue to have a good time with things like the additional episodes and such. I hear that people didn't like uh, excuse me just a second oh you're good kendo uh sherry hunks uh, well so extra pieces exist and the next remake the three remake is the ones the fans didn't enjoy very much uh because it got to more action and then but to me the the series is always low-key going to action you just spend a certain amount of time feeling like you're disempowered like wolfenstein the old blood yeah, you spend a level crawling around, stabbing dogs, and trying not to get minigun to death. And then after that, you get your weapons back, and you're an unstoppable murder machine. So, while I definitely appreciate the dread of trying to going around corners and such, and really trying to get just, just pulling teeth, I, I, I have nothing. I'm down to pulling matchsticks, and I have to try to make this work. Instead, well, if the thing gets to me, I do have an infinite knife, so I can try and get it away one one step. Uh, but at the same time, when you're in the sewers and there's uh, muscle monsters crawling out, just spin up those barrels, minigun their shoulders off, pierce the eye, and moving on. It became much more about solving the environment 
recognizing, oh yeah, every tool is going to have three uses. That's just how it goes. And juggling that. I actually saved all the discarded keys in the first run with Leon, and I'm just throwing them over my fucking shoulder with Claire. <laughs> um, so so I'm, I'm going to get back to why I asked you that, though. Why I yeah. asked you if you enjoyed it. And you said yes, but not in the way it's meant to be played. So, this time, I enjoyed it, yes. So here, here's what I'm going to tell you, and I'll tell everybody this. I don't care how you enjoy it, as long as you enjoyed it. Because if you find a way that you enjoy a game and it makes makes you enjoy it, then do it. I, I don't care if it's the way I play it and the way a lot of people play it. doesn't mean it's always the right way. Your way might be your right way, and my way might be the right way, and somebody might say, well, that's, that's not how it's supposed to be played. The thing for entertainment industry is that you enjoy whatever's put in front of you however you want to enjoy it. In my eyes. Now, some people will disagree with me. That's just my opinion. And this is coming from a franchise that you really care about sharing. Mm-hmm. So you're a little more invested. I right. would yes end that by saying the more people that get to meaningfully engage with something, the better. But that's kind of the stressor, is meaningfully. It would be... I think you would be disappointed if I said, hey, Chucks, I played re to re And you'd say, oh, yeah? What did you think? I'd say, meh. You would feel like oh, the game must have bounced off of you. Usually you're full of words, Browbeat, but at this point you get nothing to say. Did it leave so little of an impression? Did you pay attention? Were you there? Did you see the things? I definitely paid attention and saw the things. I just also am aware that the game is not geared to cater to what I would enjoy from that experience. Again, case in point, our uh, Re3 Re, people go, oh, this is just an, uh, an on-rails action shooter game. Uh, fella, re to re is an on-rails linear game. It, it is. The game steers you through a dense environment where there's a couple of tunnels here and there to find the way to unlock the room to get the thing to go unlock the next room to get the thing. It, it is a linear experience, but it fools you into thinking that it's more expansive and fools in the best way because the kinds of environments you get to see, it, it's this insane combination of an, a mansion and a police station, right? It shouldn't work. But at the same time, it feels really good, even if you're not invested, to go into the, the star's office of the police station. And just the, the mood of the room is different. It seems more relaxed, or it seems like you kind of belong here, even though as Leon, you don't. Um, the, the, the place where you are has identity, in the same way that the Shimura has identity in Dead Space. It's industrial as fuck. Yes, it's going to be a rusty spaceship for most of its time. But where you are trying to survive matters more than not at all. I think that is value added. And just because I'm never out of bullets doesn't mean I feel safe necessarily. And especially when you throw in a anxiety-inducing element that I didn't go to look up and see what the time window is on Mr. X, uh, how long it takes for him to get back up. Uh, sometimes, since I had the volume down a bit, you just appeared around me and t- took a haymaker to me. The Ada Wong section, I didn't really appreciate very much. But I understand how it works, and I, I, I get what it's for. And apparently Claire has her own version as well. Mm-hmm. But it's you're not here to shoot things. You're here to navigate and hack. <clears throat> and whether it's get open the door before Mr. X comes up and punches you, or open the door before you get incinerated, I appreciate the puzzles existing. They were my least favorite parts of execution. But it's an action experience, and you know you don't want to die in a fire, so make it work. Uh, I wasn't even sure, really, how the pace would go, because throughout the entire 
last third of Leon's tale, if you will, not by time spent, but by by uh, events or settings. I couldn't tell how close the game was to finishing. I really didn't know. I thought to myself, okay, we just had a big boss showdown, but will we have another boss showdown? Will it be something else I got to do? Some sort of gimmick, escape sequence? Oh, there's a ti- there's a counter timing down the screen. Okay, well, the Metal Gear and Resident Evil from PS1 tell me that when there's a timer on the screen, that's got to be like the end escape sequence. So that's that's probably how it's going to go. And I had a great time watching these characters in high fidelity get uh, well, action around with having the most tolerable <laughs> Resident Evil dialogue so far. Clearly, there have been some rewrites. Oh, yeah. So, uh, as an entertainment experience, I quite enjoyed myself, and I would like to see this engine continue to be used, because it was a pretty small install, considering uh, Devil May Cry 5, which is a property that you don't necessarily care about, uh, also portrayed itself very well with the aesthetic that it's going for, which... I'm not a big fan of, and then Nightmare Black Plague stuff went everywhere. It's kind of abstract. It does the mood, but I prefer when things are rendered as concrete and built by human hands, which is why the police station was such a good environment to explore, discover, and get comfortable with, because as you have it mapped out in your head, Chucks, the same way I start to have these impressions where if I place myself as a player character somewhere in the inner room, a given room, I might think, oh yeah, it's like two lefts and a right and down the stairs. Yeah, yeah, the dark room, the dark room. You gotta have the dark room. I appreciate the the play world built for us. It was great. I had a great time once I solved the ammo issue. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, You are correct, though. I, I enjoyed the dread and trying to solve those issues at the same time. Like, oh god, do I have enough ammo? Do I have to solve this? Like, uh, the best way I've heard it said, it's a puzzle with inside of a puzzle. You have to have solve the puzzle, what you need to carry and what items you should have at the same time trying to solve what puzzle of what enemies you need to defeat and how to get through them. So, yeah, but uh, don't you don't you like solving puzzles two at a time while juggling and sometimes a dog bites you in the ankle? Yeah, it's a, that's fun, too. I'm wrong. That's how I got into sports games when I was younger. What really got me into sports games was like creating these superpower teams. And what then drove me was, all right, now I need to take the teams that I'm not good with. And I need to learn how to play the team that I enjoy, but I'm not good with playing with because I don't have the super team. And I need to get better. And so that's why I say when people are like, well, I didn't play it the right way. There's no right way to play something as long as you enjoy it. Now there's ways. That's that, that's too inclusive. That's too kind. It because is. if we're using a um, contrasting elements comparison here, I don't think that most people who build their games are building their games with speedrunners in mind. And speedrunners may occasionally enjoy playing a game on the terms the game is setting, but as a particular subculture, their whole deal is, how can I break your shit and make it look good and fast? Versus whatever the prescribed experience is. And some games don't have difficulty options. Some games don't have any customization. The game is as it is. Go find out. And others have accessibility or difficulty or resource management or puzzle complexity, etc. And they say, here's sort of the tone we're setting. Here are the parameters you can adjust for your own experience. Yeah, no. I, I think there are sometimes people play games in a way that hurts their experience actively or aggressively. And then they say, game bad. Whereas you never establish an interaction language with the game itself to discover what about it works and doesn't work for you and how to navigate forward 
because maybe you want to suffer through a clumsy system to get the writing to happen to you, to get the story. Or sometimes you say, okay, fine, I'll build up the levels to get this ability to see what else you got in your toy box. But if you... <laughs> Let's take Borderlands as an example. There's, there's a window of space in levels that the game has where it would like you to be the following level to be in this area to get the most out of it. If you find a way to skip to late game areas as a starting character and then complain that everything is hard and the game is bad, there was a, quote, way you're supposed to play the game to have the most fun. You ignored that explicitly and now you're complaining you're not having fun. Right? Yes, but what I'm saying is the entertainment field is meant for you to enjoy whatever that's put in front of you. If you find a way that is not normal to enjoy it, if you enjoyed it, then in my eyes, you did it right. It doesn't matter how you did it. Even like you said, with speedrunners, games aren't meant to be played that way. But guess what? People find a way to entertain and enjoy themselves playing that game. So my opinion is, well, if you enjoyed it, and it's even though, yes, the game is supposed to be played within like a seven hour period, but you found a way to beat it in like two minutes. Good on you. If you enjoy doing that, good for you. If you have excitement playing whatever you purchased or play or are playing or watching, then good on you. That that's what entertainment's there for. It's to entertain you and for you to enjoy whatever you're doing. Now But also but also mm -hmm. that implies heavily that this is you in isolation. Not so if it's a shared experience. And the way you enjoy it the best is if other people are having a bad time. Then the conversation develops a little differently, right? Uh, it can, yeah. You're having fun. You enjoyed it, but everybody else is not enjoying it. So, Because of you. Specifically, the actions yeah. you're taking are causing others distress. The consequence is the others will either make you stop, or if they can't, they'll leave. And then you get to stop having fun, but you had fun. So good for you. Hopefully, that doesn't have any lasting consequences. True. I mean, people do that on Fortnite and all other games, and they cheat in what they would consider cheating, and with aimbots and stuff. Are you having fun? Yes. Is everybody else getting pissed off? Probably. So, yes, like you said, are you enjoying it? Yes. So you're you're enjoying the experience you wanted to experience out of that entertainment piece. But now, either A, they can adapt to you, or B, because it's a vast majority and you've been outruled, they'll consider it cheating, and now that's no longer fun. So now you are kicked. I get that too. Uh, so now do you need to... Uh, change what you're doing to fit the criteria of what everybody else is, most definitely if that's what the developer says. Um, it's for you to play that game. Now, if you're... If the developer's like, well, tough shit, he found a way, he found a loophole, you guys, you guys gotta suck it up. Then it's on them to now get aimbots until whatever's going on. So however it helps everybody enjoy whatever they're doing, go ahead. Like I said, if you're enjoying it, I'm not gonna complain you're playing a single action, single player, uh, first, well, third person shooter. Um, so the way you did it with infinite ammo, hey, I have no complaints, no, no bitches, no gripes, no nothing of the sort. So you enjoyed it. Go, Stop go giving ammo. me all this gunpowder, man. Why is there gunpowder everywhere? Just clotting up my inventory. Who asked for this much gunpowder? What is it even for? Exactly. Oh, right, the bullet, the bullets thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm the opposite. I like the dread. But then when I beat the game a couple times, yeah, I want to experience it with uh, infinite ammo. That's what I did with RE3 and RE8. That's that's kind of important that I didn't say, and you're you're exactly right. <laughs> there is an intended first pace when everything is new to you and you don't know what the game 
entails and specifics, just the theme. It's exciting and it's pleasant to have the game roll out and happen gradually. Whereas if you do want to come back to it, it you can't really put the put the toothpaste back in, right? Mm-hmm. There may be some changes, but you kind of get how this is going to run. It's less of a let it happen to me and more, well, what can I do? How can I fiddle with this? How can I change this up? So on repeated runs, what you ask of the game is different than what you might in the beginning. Yeah, your, your first time experience in a survival game probably should not include a removal of a cons- uh, confinement or restriction that is integral to the fear. But uh, if you happen to unlock the infinite flamethrower or whatever, sure, rock that if you want to. Just the price is you're a little bit less afraid. But maybe you don't want to be. Maybe now it's time to show the game who's boss or start modding it. But there's value in the initial packaged experience. It is designed to do the following things. Ignore that at your peril. All right. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you picked the game up. I'm glad you enjoyed it in the way you did. And I'll, a lot of people would assume, because I, I love Resident Evil, that I, someone coming up to me would like, well, you didn't play it. It would assume, like, you didn't play it the right way. To me, any way that you, like I said, once again, any way you enjoy a game, that's the right way for you. My right way is different than your right way, but at the end of the day, as long as we both got an entertainment and joy out of it, who get fucking cares? See, we had this discussion a couple of years ago when this game was new. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to re- readdress the gun play again, because that was a big stumbling point for me. In early Resident Evil games, from everything I've seen from you play and other people playing, mm-hmm. there's nothing fun about the gun combat. Not nothing. It's just the tool to make the zombie not eat you or do it slower. So if you, you can point up at its head, woo, fantastic, still takes a lot of bullets. It's, it's just it's the pressure of the opponent approaching you. Cool. If the gun combat in this game were not satisfying, I wouldn't even touch it. Because just because it looks good doesn't mean it plays well. And here it happens to A, look good, and B, play pretty well. I've only had one instance that I can remember where I tried to leave a room, and then Mr. X was just on the other side of that door, blocking the door in, and his fist still traveled through. And I thought, well, this is that's not supposed to happen, right? He's supposed to spawn a little further away. But point being, I complained, said, Chucks, the, the gun is well-rendered, and it makes a good popping sound, and the brass scatters nicely, and I love every part of the guns going off in this game, except for when they interact with the enemy, because there's just there's not a reciprocal relationship here. You, you shoot the zombie in the head, it says, okay. And then four or five shots later, it might fall over. If you're very lucky, the cranium gets to burst, and the zombie never gets back up. But you're telling me, you're empowering me by saying guns exist, they work, and they feel awesome. Followed by the enemies are mostly dismissive of your guns. Until later, when the guns get much stronger, etc. Or you get the actual guns that work, like shotguns, but you're scampering for ammo, so good luck. You're, you're giving me something I enjoy and telling me it doesn't work or it's enough time to share with others, etc. It's, it's a tease that I don't care for. I get it. But now, but now you lifted that restriction and said, go use gun. Gun fun to use. Go use gun. Yay, gun fun to use. And that got me to play the game. Because I was, even with three, for a second there looking at the, hey man, you, you pay me $5, I'll unlock that shit right away. I thought, that's actually very tempting, because that's a parameter that I would appreciate, where I'm just exploring the game and what it has to offer, versus submitting myself to its limitations. But conventional wisdom says there's plenty of ammunition in the game 3, so I'm way less tempted. Whereas with 2, 
the remake of two. You were, you were very excited about Resident Evil Two remake, very excited. Then you wouldn't finish it for months. Yeah, but well, well two you, was you my let, favorite. The you let me touch. You let me touch the thing, and I touched the thing, and I said, "I don't want to touch this anymore. I don't like this." I'm glad you are, but oof. And now, I found a way to make it enjoyable for myself, and you get to say, "Man, look at that! Somebody else gets to appreciate this thing." So we happy. Correct. Now, how about the nightmare mode where it's knives only? Nope, Mm-mm, not for me. Not for I, me I know you dig that shit. I don't want that. Oh, Please don't. don't make me do that. Nope, can't do knives only. Well, there's a way where you can like beat G three version with a knife in two minutes. I don't care. We have left the sphere of relevance where I find this to be enjoyable. Please go be impressive somewhere else. Record a clip of it. I'll look at it later. <laughs> just bring me bring me in for the 20 seconds where it's awesome and then just fuck off with the rest. Thanks. So I'm assuming you got all rewards unlocked is what you did, you got with the D uh, when you got yours. Oh, allegedly. And then the game completion screen hit and said, oh, here's some more stuff. I thought that's cool. But I imagine there's game unlock stuff that's difficulty dependent that I wouldn't have gotten. So yes, it was when it was on sale when I picked it up. I saw that that, that particular piece of uh, permissive DLC was half off too. So I said, "Yeah, throw it in. Go ahead, call me bitch." Okay, one more time. Good. Now that's established. I'm gonna play this on my terms. Yeah, no. Like I said, hey, like I said, man, whatever gets you into it, go ahead. Do what you got to do. I want to see them do Resident Evil One. Uh, remake resident evil one remake but updated into the style of two because mm, those those crimson heads are going to be a bitch and a half and uh well, i'd love to see what happens uh capcom seems to like money so it might be uh, a par- a partner project so what did is- you start watching the video that I sent you by mr noah caldwell gervais i've the watched the seven, little- seven and a half hour one no because i got done with my uh the our, our last episode of the Grimecast uh, yesterday, but in the process, right after I got done watching it, all hell broke loose in my zone, and I, I took the same call for the same apartment complex for three and a half hours. <laughs> and so I did not get the opportunity of uh, going to do that. Oh, no worries. It's, it's, a, it's a big, chunky video, and I think you'll, you'll hear a lot that you might agree and disagree with, but notion being... In the wake of that video, I decided to install and play and get my time with uh, Re2Re. And if it's something that's relevant to you, if you do take it in chunks, you're welcome to take notes and uh, come at me with it yeah. to express how this uh, professional word speaker into microphone man uh, atta- approaches a topic you find to be very relevant. Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about it. You sent me the avalanche the the guy avalanche and i disagreed with him on some topics and some things and he was like he mentioned like six was a really good game and like this was right after me and you just got done beating six and i'm just like no it's not like six is better than seven and five's better than six i'm like no not at all that's i don't agree. disagree sir yeah but something's off with you and i don't like it but my thing was you know what that's his opinion i can't sit there and i can't argue with him about his opinion because that's his and he has it but if i ever talk to him in person i I would ask him and he mentions in his and i I, that would be my thing like i would just discuss with him why he felt six was the better game and if he said he would have his points and i'd have my points 
And at the end of the day, we can all go home saying, yeah, you know what? We can kindly agree to disagree. And that would be the thing. You make points and you're still an asshole and I don't like you. Oh, thank you for listening. Well, well, I, uh, do you have... mm-hmm. no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Do you have any notes for me for what I might be up against with re three re or just leave it alone and probably the next week when I get to it, I'll let you know. Uh, no, uh, nemesis is not as big and bad as everybody tells you he is. He's not like Mr. X. In the original three, he was better than Mr. X. And then from there, you need to, you know, like in this one, he's there, but he just pops up and he only follows you. He's not as terrifying. Uh, So I don't worry about him as much. Um, If you get all the infinite ammo from the get-go, the game's super easy. But I played it on super, super hardcore mode and it became really difficult. But it wasn't too bad. Okay. So I think you'll enjoy it still with infinite ammo. I just don't know how you're gonna how how you're gonna play and feel, and so I'll let you experience it. But Nemesis is not as not as hard. the The intro takes a bit before you get into like actually playing playing the game. Uh, it takes about twenty thirty minutes. But the game, if I ran through the game, I think the quickest I did it was like an hour and a half. Okay. So That's pretty quick. That's lickety damn split. Yeah, no, I was just gunning it through everything, and anytime Nemesis showed up, I was just like giving him the middle finger and just running like do 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 do. Um, but I think you'll enjoy it, man. I think you'll if you had fun with two, you'll ha- you'll have more fun with three, and the a- pace with it being action and everything. Um, I just my biggest issue with it is Nemesis is not like Mister X. He doesn't hunt you down. He's not constantly after your ass. Uh, and uh, that's honestly better for my psyche. It is for you. For me, it was different. Uh, and the game was too short. Even, oh. even trying to play it, I think my first run through was like five hours. Like I want to pull up the like the Angry Joe thing, like four hours. Like, and that depends on what you pay for it, because sometimes when you rush in quick because it's hot, new, and fresh, you're gonna have that feeling, especially if money doesn't come easy. Really, I spent how much to get just this? Ah. Yeah, no, that's how I was with that. Like, I spent $70 to get that. And I beat it in five hours and got certain things unlocked, and then I kept doing it. So, you know, like, it was I disappointed in the length? Yeah. But do I, at the end of the day, is it a good game? It's a good game. And I think you'll enjoy it. So I hope you have fun when you play it. On the basis of an entertainment experience, I'm reasonably certain I will enjoy it. Because I, I am marveling at... What the right, uh, the artists and engineers, not, not the writers, but what the artists and the engineers are able to accomplish visually and sometimes mechanically. Just little touches that are very satisfying. And I'm treating it as a, a mixture of Max Payne and Dead Space. So it's not about, I'm scared, but much more, I want to explore this environment. I want to pick up everything that's not nailed down that's helpful to me. And I'd like to meet out necessary amounts of violence or in the case of claire with with her infinite rocket launcher unnecessary amounts of violence in order to overcome the threat because it it does feel good when you get smooth at navigating an environment if you do have repeats like the rpd uh, station and it feels good to be able to clean out a space there was a threat here 
but we've resolved it. So it's 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 good now. It's safe. We can we can bring in survivors, of which there are none, into the lobby, keep them there. So concepts like Mr. X shit all over that and say, no, no, we're safe. Technically speaking, don't go into the bathrooms. That'd be a bad idea. Yeah, I made those mistakes a couple times. First time playing through it. Also, uh, not super involved, but I will speak that I had picked up a long intended continuation of the Darksiders franchise because I had gone through one and two maybe two years ago at this point as repeats. I, I played them before when they were newer, but I decided to play the War Mastered and the Death Initiative Editions. And uh, as I said before on this, on this channel, I, I don't think I've ever played a Zelda game, but now that I've played uh, Darksiders, I don't have to because I've played a Zelda game, which is unfair to the franchise. But what it delivers in terms of finding tools to return to to find secrets and solve uh, traversal puzzles and have some light combat, that does satisfy that itch. But we're not here to talk about 1 and 2, because 1 and 2 uh, have been discussed sufficiently well, especially by, I think, the channel called White Light did a three-hour analysis on uh, Darksiders 2, which stylistically actually still holds up, looks very nice. Uh, I started playing the much maligned and underappreciated Darksiders 3. Which, at this point, the principle of the Four Horsemen, we've rebranded. Because War and Death, they sell themselves. Pestilence and Famine? Mm, no, that's a really hard concept to try and sell. Let's, let's sex it up. Instead of Pestilence and Famine, let's have Fury and Strife. Because hmm. it's Joe Mad doing the drawing. Why not do that? Uh, I almost enjoyed Darksiders 3. Because Darksiders 3 is a Souls light game. It's not as punishing as many Souls titles are. At the same time, it still demands the dance of timing around you. Unfortunately, your default weapon is much more flaily than Norm, so there's, there's a bigger wind-up to what you do and what you can reach. It is not helped by the fact that, at least on console, it runs poorly. The frame rate can fluctuate. Things can lag behind. In the game, it's all about timing in combat, where you don't have a parry or block option most of the time. You have to get out of the way and then possibly initiate a counterattack. It really taxes the combat in such a way where it doesn't feel great. It's It definitely is a disservice to the experience. Hmm. The idea of your arsenal filling out with additional weapons is cool. You gradually get four different flavors of engaging the environment. Stylistically, it's very satisfying because the first thing you do you get a fire form, and that just the way it reads is you're immune to lava, which kind of a good way to start. <laughs> just if there's a lava flow, you can just wade through it like thick mud, and you get a sick double jump. The integration to other skills that apply, such as you're really heavy and you can transform into a uh, gravity ball to traverse certain certain mag magne uh, magnetic crystals, that's cool. That's neat, but then adding in a caveat that if you're in a body of water, you just sink to the bottom and move normally. Nice. I, that's not necessarily a super transformative thing for a game, but I appreciate the attention to detail. The flip side of that being your last traversal power you unlock, which is, uh, I guess it's supposed to be able to freeze time, but effectively you can run on water as if it's the floor. So in a game that asks you to navigate dungeons and corridors, caves, ruined cities in a linear fashion, spicing up your traversal is very helpful. It keeps you engaged with saying, oh, 
If I use these skills like that, remember that one ledge I couldn't get to? Now I can get to it. So your explorative itch, kind of like Resident Evil actually, gets satisfied. In terms of becoming stronger, there was definitely a point in the beginning where I was fighting uphill where every enemy encounter was very meaningful. You're, you don't want to die and go back to however long ago your checkpoint was. You don't want to lose your currency either. So it was tense to have to progress forward at all. Every boss was a serious concern because your number of, number of heals and solutions to their challenges is also limited. And then you hit a plateau if you explore enough where the game has a couple of boss designs that were not... Like, once you solve it, you know what to do, you dodge out of the way. Mr. X is not a threat anymore, you just know what to do. But coming into it was quite frustrating because I was going about it in a way that wasn't... Um, it was a bad solution. So to the point where I had to crack open a guide and say, okay, I'm missing something, what am I missing here? This is not a punch-in-the-face kind of boss, this is a figure-out-my-gimmick-and-then-work-with-it kind of boss. Whereas on the other hand, there was one I forget which sin it was. I think it was supposed to be sloth, but they had, you know, again, sexied up some of the sins. There's a big, fat bug sitting on a throne carried by smaller bugs. And that was fairly apparent. Take out some of the smaller bugs, so the throne flips over, and the big, fat bug gets up and starts swinging a hammer around. That wasn't a complicated design, but it was very well executed. I dug that. Then the boss that I was upset at was uh, a demon seated inside of a large tentacle of a monster octopus. And the tentacle would whip itself around the arena, hitting almost everything, stand up in the middle to spew out poison pools that persisted and made your options more difficult. Just being a nuisance. And the window to hit this person was very narrow. It would move around quite a bit. That was the one that I had to stop and consult a guide. And then eventually, when that fight phase is resolved, you stop whipping it in the face, the floor falls away, you fall into a body of water, and then it's another gimmick. You don't attack the octopus, you trick it, Zelda-style, into inhaling the bombs that are in the area. You have to tail the bombs behind you, Galaxy Quest-style, where it's not too close that it goes off, but it's not too far away, so it doesn't drift away. I get the gimmick, I did not enjoy the gimmick. But that's how they answered the question. How are you going to kill the octopus? You won't, it'll kill itself. I know it's a very specific example, but in the pantheon of Souls-like games, there aren't too many bosses that are gimmicks. Most of the time, direct damage will work. It's a matter of learning to dance. But when there's that one that breaks its own rules, you remember it, and you remember it for all the wrong reasons. Because you stopped having fun, it said, fine, fucker, I'll solve you, and we'll never speak of this again. Which usually is an unfortunate moment in the game. So Darksiders 3 happened, and I'm glad that I got to see it. Uh, the story does not matter, unfortunately. But then again, if they're comic book stories, it, how many times can you rehash? And then, and then the, the charred console, uh, they dispatch the horsemen, but then one of them is scheming, and one of them is in trouble, and you have to go and uh, correct injustices, collect the seven deadly sins, and that will give you the power of friendship. Or something to that effect, right? You're here for the action, the visuals, don't worry about the writing too much. By the way, your protagonist is going to be a sassy and empowered female. Uh, not no real character depth too much, just badass. My hair's on fire. Which, to be fair, if you have to have a visual representation of what your power set is, your voluminous comic book hair being a different shade or color is a very effective quick hand for. Oh yeah, I'm using I'm using these powers. Darksiders Genesis slash Darksiders Four is more of a surprising delight, actually, because I thought to myself, this is an okay game, until 
getting to about the middle, I thought, oh, this is actually quite good. It is a co-op twin-stick shooter that you can play by yourself. And the characters you switch between, two of them, one is decidedly a, a fight-at-range character, and the other is very much a come-get-in-my-face character. Your general idea of loading into a dungeon for each level and then traversing it, opening doors, solving puzzles, fending off waves of goons, and then showing down with the boss, it's all pretty familiar for the most part, being a top-down, uh, dodge-oriented twin-stick shooter. Again, direct the damage wherever you want it to go. That's not the surprising part. And developing the moves for the characters is also not necessarily very surprising. The delight of this game comes in its meta skill tree, because you get a shared skill tree for your two characters with sockets that you fulfill by collecting enemy, let's call them essence orbs. Sometimes they drop them. And those orbs can level up, and that drives your overall power level in the game. And as they level up, they have effects that range from something boring like increase attack to something more exciting, like sometimes when you dash, you leave behind a fiery streak on the floor, which will damage opponents, depending on its uh, overall level. So it, it introduces a collectible mechanic into a game that has you fighting a bunch of dudes anyway, and for doing so, you develop more abilities and get stronger, so you can fight more dudes. To get more currency, to get upgrades, to fight more dudes. It's a lot more cohesive, weirdly, than a Souls-like game, where the act of the combat is enjoyable, and in, in, uh, incentivizes you to have more combat. As opposed to a game that pressures you, where every encounter, unlike Resident Evil, when you kill people, when you defeat opponents, they leave behind something useful. Whereas in Resident Evil, it's strictly so they just they get out of your way. If you can run past them, do that. If you can't, spend the resources, put them down. What do you get? Nothing. Nothing good happens outside of them not wanting to kill you anymore. So I still haven't finished Dark Siders Genesis. The writing is a little bit better. Uh, they have this... There's a game called uh, Battle Chasers that I talked about a few episodes ago that is made by the studio Airship Syndicate who did this entry into, into Darksiders. And this is a much more practiced and better iteration of their art style as well as their mechanics. So for a B-tier market, I'm quite impressed with what I'm seeing here. It is a pleasant surprise to have the game not just be okay, but actually pretty enjoyable. And I have to point out that this is a game made for two that I'm playing by myself and having fun with. That's pretty rare. Typically speaking, co-op games just don't balance well when you're by yourself. So if Chuck's ever wanted to play Darksiders Genesis without any prior context of the Darksiders games, good news. Works perfectly fine on its own. And you need to know you need to know exactly nothing about the game to have a decent time. Hmm. I am highly intrigued now. We may we may pick it up and uh, we may do a, a run through it. And, Let's uh, take a look. Let me type this into the old search bar. Dark Shaders. Excuse me. Oh uh, yeah, look at that. Thirty bucks. It exists. And it's a co-oper. Although how well the progression works with two players that I can't speak for because again, something that I got for myself as part of the let's finish out this franchise series because my attitude towards the games sadly have been I I prefer for this to be over now. It's it is outstanding. It's welcome. There's nothing new really happening. The environments are good. But the pace is dragging. That was true for one. That was true for two. That was true for three. So far, Genesis holding its own. Hmm. 
Oh, of course, and um, your 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 hub because you do have a hub between missions. I I really like it when games have a place for you to come back to, like in between the action, quasi comforting or whatever it is, a safe place. The hub does populate and develop with the missions that you do, and I really like that element. It also has the thickest demon girl I've seen in a very long time, at least thigh wise. Completely unexpected. I forgot that was a piece from marketing or something, and I thought, well, okay, cool. Girl got thunder thighs. Fantastic. <laughs> oh man, yeah, no, I'd be excited to play that. I think there's a couple games I'm excited to play and see. Um, I was on Steam. I'm on Steam. There's been a couple games that I, I'm curious about. Like, uh, I, I just saw another game on here. There's the Expedition franchise. Very positive reviews. It's something if historical wise that people may be into and. I may be able to sit down and play, and there's a bunch of things we can we can sit there. I didn't know. Is there an open? Oh, well, fun fact. I guess you don't have to own the game to play the open beta for Back for Blood. Oh, that changed. Good. Change. I think it changed on Monday or the mm-hmm. 12th, whenever the 12th was, yesterday. That was a serious point of contention I had with the game. And uh, from what I'm hearing, that was a serious mistake. So now, they lowered that barrier and said, here, everyone, give it a try. Well, right now, it's got uh, mixed reviews, the beta does. Uh-huh. That's about right. There's a lot of politics and production I wasn't aware of until I listened to a skill-up episode. And that brought up a lot of concerns. <laughs> Serious concerns. Yep. So the first negative review, it says, I pre-purchased the Ultimate Edition, was very excited for this game to release. After playing this beta, however... I wound up refunding my purchase because I don't think it's possible for this game to be released in a finished state two months from now. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. But don't worry. No game release is finished now. You just take hold of the front and you roll out the uh, the preemie baby, flop it on the table, and start uh, tacking on parts and post. Correct. Beta now means alpha back then is how I see it, kind of. Well... I think finished game now means beta from back then. Well, yeah, that's it's what I'm saying. Closer. So if if you put beta, well, if you do it that way, then a beta now would kind of be like an alpha back then because, oh, we put out the alpha edition, try it. Well, man, this is really glitchy. And then when the game comes out, like, you guys got a lot of issues, so they have to swoop in and fix the issues. So that's how a lot of games are nowadays. But a lot of the positive reviews are, I recommend this game at half the price it is at currently. <laughs> The ringing so, endorsement. Yeah. Uh, it's so good, get it for half. The best game you can buy on sale, or the 45th best game you can buy on sale at this time. Yeah, so the big thing right now, for the next review, this, I think this game is good fun, but the price is outrageous. That's uh, super definitive. Uh, in the first one, the third positive review is, I'm going to get the negative stuff out of the way. $60 is probably too much for this game. Assuming what we see is what we get. At the present, Similar games, Vermintide 2, for instance, are not nearly the price of a full retail game. Combined with the disappointing multiplayer, I think TRS going to is going to have a hard time getting people to pay full price for this game. Yes. Like, even me watching the video, I realized, like, this is like a $40 game. I didn't have to play the game to realize that. Yeah. So, you used your eyes. I salute you. And sometimes... 
you need that to get past the screenshots. Screenshots, yeah, it looks great when it's still. You see it move and you think to yourself, yeah, I don't know about this. Yeah, I think I'll abstain. Yeah. And pe- people are still happily playing uh, Left 4 Dead. Very happily, because the game has a massive mod scene. It's survived for, what, eight years? Left 4 Dead 2? Let's find out. Uh, do, 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 do. Left 4 Dead 2. And right now, this game mm-hmm. is competing for that same attention by being less feature complete, asking for more money. Saying, no, but, but guys, we promise we'll make it better later. We'll promise. For real, though. And as it, was, as it was pointed out in somebody else's video, attaching brand connection, hey, from the guys that brought you this, I don't think anybody involved with the original games of Left 4 Dead is involved with the studio any longer. I would imagine most of them have moved on to other things. So, false equivalency. Yeah, 12 years ago. Almost 12 years. Well, hot shit. And it's still popping now? Regularly on Steam? What hope does this game have? I guess they had to try. They had to try. Yeah, they had to. Knowing how positive it was on Steam, I guess they were had to go, okay, let's give this a whirl and see what we do. Now, I think in a couple of years from now, probably Back for Blood will be uh, a highly positive game. But like you said, it's going to be required to have touch-ups and stuff done to it. So... Who knows? Something I, had, I hadn't considered this, but now since the point emerged, games are beginning to have a similar relationships relationship with their audience as TV shows do. Because they launch in whatever state they launch in. And they make a lot of promises. Oh, we're about this. And then if their readership continues, if the numbers don't drop off, which they do, the writers or creators throw in iterations and changes the experience itself changes and over time you hear about shows that made changes that got attention positive or negative you hear about it and the ones that stayed about the same just kind of fade from memory unless you happen to be someone who cares about the subject matter or the actors or whatever right Mm -hmm. so a show and a game launching now a game that's good in a year or two is the equivalent of Hey, so season four of this is coming out, and uh, have you seen it yet? You haven't? Oh, well, go catch up. It's actually pretty good now. As in, go through the initial work to get to a place where you will find enjoyment based on my re- referral. That's uh, and yeah, can, can help people work years. with Castlevania. Like, season one and two are okay, but three and four? Oh, wow. So what you're telling me is I have to get through two bad seasons to get to the really good stuff. And that's why I never came back. I watched what I watched, and I thought, this is really shallow. There's not a lot. There's nothing here. Only because the visuals it was portraying, I don't have a great love for the license, A, and the show happening around the things looking good is not a show that I enjoy, B. So why would I stick around for more? That's the gamble. And ultimately, outside of a subscription, that costs you very little. Watching most shows now, the paywall is turning on the faucet of whatever service is providing that. With games... Would, would would you pay $70 now for an unknown quantity? That's less likely than paying 30 30 with a wink and a nod from a friend who says, oh, this is actually quite nice. But it's, and it's aged well. But 
it feels bad on the on the side of people who are making this because let's say the employees and the creators care about what they're making. Work hard for a year and a half to make something that's going to basically flop, then keep working until it gets better, knowing that people are going to dismiss you or hate on you based on your initial release. That might have been out of your hands in the first place. Your your bosses might have said, yeah, it's shipping in October. You might have told your bosses that it's nowhere near ready. The boss goes, work harder. And you say, well, can we delay it? And the boss just flat out stares you down, and you crawl back under your desk. But then the, the part of the analogy that doesn't work is that most shows don't get to retcon and change over their initial releases. They either get better or worse with time. You don't go back to re-release episodes, but better now. With bold new casting choices. So just 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 a rumination. Yeah, th- this this Left for Dead like game might be pretty good in a year at half the price. Fortunately, its forebear is good right now. Right now. And what does it go for? Um, ten dollars. Uh, what what's game? We, oh shit. Left for Dead Two. Yeah, Left for Dead Two. I'm sorry. Ten dollars. That is an insane. Yeah. Well, you don't need one because you can just have two with one in it. Nah. Yeah, you can bundle them for fourteen ninety eight. <laughs> so what are we even discussing here? This one's newer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do we go back to the point where just because new does not mean wanted or needed or necessary? No. I don't know. It's it's a difficult argument to have because. Lots of things that we have come to enjoy we found when we were young and the world was more mysterious and things didn't connect, but we knew we enjoyed certain kinds of shit. Then time passed, our time passed, and the world keeps pumping out new shit. It's not really for us anymore, but we could decide if we ignore it or engage it. So do you sit on the sidelines and watch it slip away, or do you weigh in and they say, whatever, Grandpa... You do both. You sit on the sidelines playing it, then you weigh in. Well, you... Why are we so viciously inattentive to one another as human beings? You know? Because... Why wouldn't you rather say, oh, I see you're enjoying something here. Can I also suggest the following things if you enjoy this? I'm not trampling in your agency. The only way you provoke my anger is if you speak so broadly. So declaratively about this thing without knowing what it came from or what inspired it, that you are now aggressing other avenues. You can quietly enjoy it, or it can say, what did Metallica say when they got the reward? Metal is over? Something like that. It's only us! Uh, no. No, actually not. Anyway, I'm rambling. I apologize. No, you're good, man. <clears throat> you're, you're putting your point across and making making references. It is all good, sir. Well, all right, Chuck, 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 Chucks. Anything that's forecast in your week coming up that you know of? Uh, no. Uh, I plan on watching the second episode of What If. Um, I'm trying to remember the the show you told me to watch, and that I would get back to you on. God, what show did I tell you to watch? Yeah, you did tell you told me to watch something and get back to you. We're talking oh, about Free Guy. Free Guy, that was it. Uh, watch Free Guy, and we'll talk about it. What was the show? Warren, a show. Me tell you to watch a show? Who the fuck are you talking to? You did tell me to watch something that wasn't Free Guy, though. I don't remember. I'll go back and listen to this, and then I'll, I'll, I'll go and watch it. Perfect. When you have a longer-running format, it gets tricky, unless you're keeping score and notes. And That's I'm what we not. need, a producer. Yeah, we do. 
But I'd say this uh, this podcast has been fun, sir. And uh, I want to remind everybody that uh, today's episode has been brought to you by depression. Depression. That's and, a bitch. And? 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 The uh, what, Burj Khalifa. The Burj Khalifa. Not being connected to a sewer system. Yes. In Dubai. The symbol of wealth. Dubai. Can't deal with their shit, literally. <laughs> but no, I do want to remind everybody, you can uh, also find this podcast on Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts, and uh, here on the YouTubes. Uh, with the YouTubes, you get a video with it. Um, and if you guys do see it on the YouTube or anything, just leave us a comment. Let us know what uh, what you guys uh, want to yeah, see. Yeah, in. Weigh in. Weigh in give, on the topic. Give, give us some direction or something. <laughs> Otherwise, we will continue to ramble slash... Browbeat will continue to ramble, and uh, unfortunately, all Chuck's can do is go, yeah, yeah, he said that. that that's what he said. Yeah, indeed. In, uh, indubitably. Indubitably. Well, for Grime and Game Guys, I'm Nutchucks. I'm Browbeat. We'll see you guys next time. <laughs>